Welcome to Prop Talk, the official podcast of the Property Masters Guild. I'm your host, Michael Trudell, PMG member, local 44 Prop Master. With me today, as always, is the founding member of the Property Masters Guild, or a founding member of the Property Masters Guild, I should be specific. <laughs> I actually local 44 Prop Master and also host to this show. Uh, we have the legendary Prop Master, Chris Call. Hey. <laughs> hey. Um, I'm on the other side of the table. Actually, I'm on the same side. Yeah, <laughs> same seats, just a different intro person, yes. I guess. Uh, so um, I I asked to do this podcast with just us because, I mean, we've been, I think we've done almost like what, I mean, nine. by the time this comes up, almost nine. Yeah, I think nine. Yeah, nine or so uh, episodes uh, interviewing various guests and they've all been fun and stuff like that. And I mean, there's a few reasons I wanted to do this because... Um, I think it's important for our audience to know who we are. Our origin story. Our, yes. <laughs> I think that's like the, the major thing. And I mean, we're, we're, and since we have been like major voices for the PMG, right. yeah, yeah, that, absolutely. that people are hearing, um, I mean, they get, they definitely get snippets. Right. We get a lot of st- little snippets and story, and that's, that's like sparked my my interest a lot too when i hear like those little snippets of you mm-hmm. i get like really excited i kind of want to hear more because i i look up to you a lot obviously and with those little pieces and where i hear from a lot of like your origins and, and where you come from it seems like from what i've heard so far is we have very similar introductions into the industry mm different generations right. but it sounds like it's on the right path and if i end up where you are 20 years from now i'm gonna be very happy yeah you are <laughs> so i hope I, you will yeah so i hope i stay on that and and then the the last reason i wanted to do it is because i don't feel like we've dove deep into what the pmg is as a right. whole and what their goals are, and and how it was maybe started. I mean, there's again snippets. <laughs> sure, yeah, absolutely. But but yeah, I think this is this is um, a good one to kind of just dive into all yeah. of that. <laughs> right. Yeah. And and conversely, you know, we don't know a lot about you either, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So yeah. So I, I, I have notes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we can do all that. So I think by doing this, I mean, selfishly, right. I think this episode is going to be beneficial to me as yeah, maybe great. other new prop masters. No, I think it's a good thing too, you know, because again, you know, I'm just this guy on the other side of the mic and people don't know yeah. too much about me. Yeah. So I think we should get into that. And so before we get too deep in, um, I just want to, I just want to start by listing some of your credits going through that stood out for me. And as you've said on previous episodes, I've gotten most of my research through IMDb. Yes. So if anything is wrong, 
It's pretty good. It's pretty clean. Yeah, I, a lot of prop. I'm I'm one of those prop masters that goes through IMDb yeah. and polishes it, and like yeah. makes I get rid of stuff that's not right and, and try to correct things right. that exactly. that should be corrected. So every couple of years or so, I like to fine tooth comb that. I know yeah. a lot of people don't, so that's where a lot of misinformation. You know, I, goes. I do it as well because I'm you know a man of a certain age and I, I forget what I've done. So like, oh yeah, that's right, I forgot I did that. So. Yeah, and now I think when anybody's hiring you, the first thing they do is look you up on IMDb. Yeah, I th- I think that that's true. I saw something on on the crew stories. Somebody was talking just recently, this last couple of days, about IMDb and whether or not you know people actually use it and should you care about it and all that. And I I agree. Absolutely. <laughs> I think that I know a lot of people. I know when I'm out for a show. My IMDb ranking goes way up. Oh yeah, because they're checking me out. Right. So I mean, yeah. I mean, it's not always true. And in fact, like some people said, there are people who go on there and like take credits that aren't theirs. Yeah. So I think you have to vet everything, ultimately. But it is a good start. Yeah, I think it's a very good start, and I think that's also a big thing why we're trying to get our own block on IMDb <laughs> yes. as property masters instead exactly. of a sea of art department. <laughs> right. It's the most frustrating time trying to like go through to like, oh, who's the prop master exactly. of this 250 art department credits? We'll get there. Yeah, I know. So it's like, so yeah, so here are some of your prop uh, master credits. Um, I'm going to start off with one that's not a prop master credit that okay. I think that needs to be mentioned, which is Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you can't go through this credit list without mentioning that. Um and then we'll go through a little bit more. Um, you did House Guest with Sinbad. I did. That was actually the show I got in the union on. But really, yeah. <laughs> awesome. My wife uh, made me write this one down because this was like a big part of our childhood. Uh, the thirteenth year. Wow. Yeah. You, you saw that movie? I did see that movie when I was a little bit younger. Uh, it was more of my little brothers were watching it, but yeah, right. my, like I, I told Jackie, I was like, "Do you remember that movie Thirteenth Year or whatever?" And she's like, "Where the kid turned." Turns into a merman. Yes, yes. exactly. Oh my god. So yeah, she was like, "Yes, you have to mention that." That and Super Dave. Yeah, I don't know that one. <laughs> um, American Pie. Yes, everybody knows that um, movie that didn't really age well if you watch it now, Probably but it's still not. fun. Um, you did eighty-eight episodes of Alias. Yeah, which we talked about a little bit in the past. Uh, you, I didn't know you worked on Nip Tuck. I did. Yeah, the season. Two, or no, yeah, season two. Yeah, um, the closer. Yep, Melrose Place. Correct. The, the remake. <laughs> the remake. <laughs> the ill-fated remake. Yeah. Um, the big Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which I was rewatching as you walked in. Yes. Today. Um, you did a hundred and thirty-four episodes of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Yeah, that was that was my home. Yeah. Uh, How many years is that? <laughs> uh, well, there was eight seasons. Eight. Eight, no, seven. Seven seasons of Brooklyn Nine Nine. I did I did six of them because the one season I missed because I went and did the Tarantino movie. Right. And, and was that was that one season a year? <laughs> it was. Yeah. So yeah, yeah it was that, that, linear. <laughs> yeah. Really your home. Uh, yes. Mr. Mayor. Yep. Which is another good one. Mm-hmm. And then most recently, um, Winning Time. Right. Which is the big one. So that yeah. Huge. So there's a there's a good range there. There's medical shows. There's horror. There's I mean action. You have kind of sports, right? <laughs> you kind of dive into it all. 
yeah, I did a little bit of everything. There were, I mean, there was a period of time there where it's like I did one procedural, cop procedural show after another. Yeah. You know, and had done no comedy until I got to Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Really? And then when I got on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, it was comedy. I was like, oh, man, this is so much better than, like, you know, how do we kill somebody this week? Yeah. You know? <laughs> Blood and murder and, it, and yeah. See, I, I'm in the murder area, or not the murder, I'm in the horror type show where I'm loving that stuff because it's not your... Uh, Typical. I, I'm starting to get sick of doing shows, and I'm being more selective because I'm doing. Sh- I've, I'm starting to do shows where, if it's just like a purse and like a, a regular storyline, it's modern. That's just handing off cell phones and and wristwatches and stuff. Like I get really, really, really bored. Right. So the murder stuff or like oh different ways to kill stuff is keep you is really exciting to me. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. You're young. Yeah, that's good. I mean, but again, you know, it is true. It's like every 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 episode of like life that I did, or every one of Body of Proof, right, was a, a different murder. And of course, they had to be creative about it, so it had to be like a creative murder every time. And yeah, you know, and I have all uh, my computers. I have a whole file of crime scene photos. Oh yeah, just all these crazy weird ass murders. That yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think like right now, I don't know if you, you like the optical knives and stuff is a new thing. The the bladeless knives no, or I haven't used those. You haven't used those, Mm-mm. yeah. So everything's like digital now. So almost everything we work for like we're adjusting a lot of the kits at at ISS and stuff like that. Wow. Um, but because like they all have like the two rubbers, yes. like the doll. And then that- Sometimes and retractable. The retractable that's janky as hell. Though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I'm going to kill somebody with this. I don't thing. want retractables. <laughs> so, like, uh, I mean, VFX is getting so good now that like they're, they're almost always requesting, oh, let's do a half blade or whatever. So that's brilliant. Uh, you see, there's there's got to be at least 20 sets at ISS that they've let me cut off the blade. They're like, well, it's becoming more and more of a regular thing. So just see, yeah, it's... slice one of the rubbers and then, oh, that's cool. Yeah, so that's becoming a thing. So, um, yeah, let's start with you. We're where, where, where are you from? Because I, I know you've been around and you've lived in a couple of different places. Yes, I, I'm, I'm a vagabond. Um, I was originally born in upstate New York. Oh, really? Little, yeah, a little town called Binghamton. Okay. It's right down the border of Pennsylvania, right between the Catskills and the Adirondacks. Oh, whoa. 26 miles of woods in my backyard. That's awesome. Yeah, so that was fantastic. That's awesome. So were yeah. you far from any, like, city or town? Or Not really. I mean, Binghamton was, I mean, Syracuse was 80 miles north oh, okay. of us. And so it was. It was a small industrial town. Okay. You know, so I got that small town feel. Grew up in the '60s and '70s there. Yeah. Uh, How know. long were you there for? I was there until sixth grade. I think it, yeah, sixth grade. And my mother, uh, she had we she had gotten a divorce and she got remarried and we moved to Chicago. Oh, okay. Uh, just outside a suburb of Chicago, Bloomingdale, and I only went to school one year there. Oh <laughs> yeah, my my uh, stepfather was a uh, salesman for GTE. GTE, that's it. So he moved a lot. My mother was an IBMer, so oh. there was a lot of moving. a lot of tech. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so we moved from there to um, Norristown, Pennsylvania. Spent a summer, only a summer there, and then I decided I was going to go go live with my dad back in Binghamton. Oh, okay, so I went. So you went back. I went back there <laughs> for another year or two. I went to start at high school. In Binghamton, and then uh, and then went back to live with my mom again uh, for my junior and senior year. And by then, she had moved to Edinburgh, Pennsylvania. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> which is in the snow belt, uh, just south of Erie. Yeah, s- sleepy little college town. Um, finished off high school there. Got into th- a little bit of theater. 
there. Not in act- high school. Yeah, or? not acting, but more technical. I like ran a spotlight for our town. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did you, did you ever want to do the acting aspect? You know, of it? I I never did. I was I was always very introverted. You know, I was never like. I didn't really want to be the center, be the center of attention. I always, I, I prefer to be behind the camera, yeah, as it were. Um, so yeah, that's how I, I got involved uh, a little bit in theater there in uh, college or high school, and then I went to my first year of college in Edinburgh as well. Uh, it's a teacher school, but it's also it was an art school. Patty Smith went there oh. back in the day, and. Um, I went to school for journalism. Okay. I was going to be a journalist. I decided I wanted to be a journalist. and um, But I ended up uh, majoring in backgammon and bong hits. <laughs> <laughs> was backgammon a big thing? Ba- backgammon. I-, I had a roommate in a boarding house that I was in who was a senior, and he turned me on to backgammon, the cruelest game. <laughs> and... Uh, and I fell in love. I still play back into this. Did you? Me and my mom just played two days ago, nice. right before she left. Actually, because I have like the one physical, and she always is playing the digital one. So right. anytime we're around, we actually play real. I know. I, I don't play real game. Um, you know tactical backgammon in a long time but yeah. I probably wouldn't even remember how to set up the board That's, we have to look at the thing because we're like well it's so digital you just hit reset right. it exactly so right. did you did were you into like deep into movies before you get into that because it sounds like you wanted to I mean going into journalism like it sounds like you were into stories and stuff like that yeah but. no no I was into social justice that's kind of like oh. what I was into I, I like when I was in high school, I read Peter Singer's uh, Animal Liberation, I oh. be- and I became a vegetarian when I was in high school. And um, I was, I, I just, I was going through some photos for this video I'm putting together for my uh, stepfather for his birthday, and I came across this uh, art, uh, this essay that I wrote in 1976. I was 16 years old um, about uh, the bicentennial. And how commercialized it was. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Does it hold up? <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty simplistic, but yeah, you know, yeah. but it, it was, you know, it was there, and uh, you know, so and that's kind of, I mean, just jump ahead. Um, from, I mean, I moved around a lot again yeah. as a young man, and then uh, when I was in Edinburgh, I uh, I dropped out of college after one year because I was just disenfranchised by uh the journalism idea that i had and again that's another whole story about you know what went down there uh, there were some things that happened in this college newspaper that uh made me realize that journalism was uh, a racket <laughs> were you working for your college newspaper yes yes yeah i mean th- th- basically you know as a freshman i i was given the philosophy department as my beat yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so there's nothing that happens in the philosophy yeah. department. Except in this year, there was this basketball scandal that basically went down where these Cubs, these uh, basketball players were not eligible to play ball because they were failing classes, one of which was a philosophy class. Oh. And this professor told me about it, and she's like, I'm just letting you know that I'm going to let the school know that he's not eligible to play he's like our star player and uh i'm gonna see what they're gonna do don't say anything to anybody i'm like okay fine what do i know and uh so the thing like breaks in the newspaper you know that this guy's ineligible to play ball and 
then this whole thing happened where the school got a hold of these teachers. They gave this guy credit somehow behind the... Oh, they tried to give him fake credit yeah, so he could play. They found some other philosophy professor who would give him the credit for the classes. And the person who I was in touch with, she was like, you know, they're railroading me. There's nothing I can do. And I'm like, Mr. Social Justice. <laughs> let's I'm like, write let's the story. Do, let's <laughs> do it, man. Let's take these people down. Yeah. And she's like, no, no, no. I can't lose my job. You know, I'm letting it go. You better let it go. And they printed a retraction. And I'm like, what are you talking about? This is in there. Oh, like, my God. Go back to your class. And I'm in. The, and I was like, you know what? I can't do that. If this is what I have to do. Yeah, this is just college. This is, <laughs> you know what like I mean? And the, I don't know. It just like blew me away. I just was not expecting that. I, you know, I came up watching all the president's men, you know, and it's like, yeah. so I thought I was going to be that guy. And, you know, in retrospect, I probably should have just stuck to my guns or whatever. But it, at that time, it just it just put me off to it. Yeah. You know, and why I, wouldn't it? <laughs> and I was not going to my classes because I was playing backgammon, you know, as I'm on my way to class and <laughs> getting stoned and playing. <laughs> exactly. And my roommate be like, hey, dude, let's get one game in. I'm like, OK, fine. I start playing. He'd hand me the bong. And that was the end of it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, my mother always said that, you know, I majored in. <laughs> and smoking dope. So, needless to say, did you graduate? I did not graduate. Yeah, no, no I, w- I went one year of, of college, and then I followed a girl to Houston, Texas. I was dating a teacher. And, you were uh, dating a teacher at the college? Or? No, no, no. Oh, okay. she, she was a high school teacher locally. <laughs> and I was working in a 7-Eleven type store, Country Fair it was called, and she used to come in in the morning on her way to work, and we got to know each other, and uh, she ended up... Um, wanting to move to Houston. She's like, you want to come? I'm like, sure. For what? To do teaching oh, she, down Yeah, there? she actually got a job at a private school. Oh, okay. Okay, so she went down there, and so I followed her down and uh, started working in a uh, graphic uh, a graphics shop. Um, like doing graphics yourself? Well, no, I was, um, <clears throat> I was working in the dark room, processing oh, okay. um, images and stuff. Oh, I, interesting. I like... Uh, um, yeah, working their photo machines and stuff. And this was just what was available? It was just what was available. I had no clue what I was doing. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Um, I just ch- followed her down there because that's what I do. Yeah. <laughs> Following girls around. Um, and then she, it turned out that her whole situation didn't work out because she came from like a, a country school in you know rural Pennsylvania to Houston where these kids were coming to work in 20 you know, in, uh, you know, BMWs. Okay. And she just, and they had all the power and she, again, it was one of those justice things that she was like, I can't do this. I have to leave. And we were having issues. So she ended up leaving and I was going to head back, back East. Yeah. And my mother, the IBMer had moved to Dallas by this time. And right. she was like, come and check out Dallas. I'm like, oh, what could Dallas be? You know, Houston, yeah, Dallas. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't know. So I came to Dallas. It was much nicer than Houston was at yeah. the time. Less humid. Yes, less humid <laughs> and less crazy because it was the 80s and Houston was experiencing this huge boom. Yeah. You know, people were like 10,000 people a month were moving into oh, Houston. Wow. Yeah. And it was out of control. Um, so anyway, I, went, I moved to Dallas and uh, I hooked up with uh, a casting director, Mariana Austin Denard. Her name was, and she was also involved. And together, we co-created Texans for Bilateral Nuclear Weapons Freeze. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> and so we put on this big um, uh, event and everything. And then we actually went to uh, D.C. 
and lobbied uh, Phil Graham. My God. So the social justice stuff. <laughs> yeah, it was like, really yeah, happening. Yeah. You know, and then at the time I was thinking, you know, what is, and then I saw The Killing Fields. Yeah. Okay. And that movie was blew me away. Yeah. Okay. And I was, and it dawned on me, it's like, wow, this is like the best medium to be able to speak to people is through film through movies yeah. okay so i mean i was as much as i'd love to say that i was like this you know film file from a kid and i mean i loved movies but i didn't see a ton of movies um and i was into a lot of tv shows right you know we talked about star trek and all that yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh it, it what really motivated me into the film industry was this idea that i could make movies and speak to a lot of people and, you know, and try to, you know, influence people. Yeah. You know, and, and make social change and social justice. And then, of course, I got in the industry and money was fantastic. Yeah. And, and I'm artistic anyway. Yeah. You know, so that it wasn't like I wasn't into art. And Was any of your <clears throat> family or any of them have backgrounds in art at all? Well, my father was a carpet installer, but he was also a musician. Okay, he, he so a, a little tr- bit. Yeah, he was a trumpet player. And, and, you know, so he worked, you know, his carpet business during the weekdays and then on the weekends he would do you know weddings and play it in bars and stuff and i was his roadie oh nice <laughs> nice for some of it first time i ever performed anywhere again i played drums so i got to do joy oh, of yeah. the world by uh three dog night oh nice. at a wedding <laughs> <laughs> that was my big moment your claim to fame yeah exactly um but my grandfather he was a carpenter and he was amazing Oh, know, good. And, and I, and again, both of them were craftsmen. Yeah. You know, especially my grandfather. Like, he, when we were kids, he had taken a motor from our pump on our uh, above ground pool that was done and he attached it to a chassis, okay, upside down. And then he sharpened this metal blade on two sides and he attached it to the, to the motor. Yeah. And he took a, a, uh, a shopping cart from the grocery store and tore it apart with the handle and everything. And, and, and then <laughs> he basically created what I believe to be the, the invention of the electric lawnmower. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Cause there, there was nothing out yeah, there geez. and he used to mow his lawn with the damn thing. Oh yeah. And it was, and that was fascinated me. So making things, do you, you have, I was like, always into that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that so, makes sense. So when I did finally, arrive at props it, it was a natural fit and how did that fit in like did you guys did you go straight into like you obviously started in dallas right i did start in dallas because again marianne austin she I, you know i expressed to her I, I was looking for a way in i had no clue none whatsoever yeah. and i was going to go to this place called a vtu it was a video technical institute Okay. And I was like, so you're oh. looking at school again. Yeah, I was yeah, looking yeah. at a school. I thought, okay, I should go in here. And she's like, she looked into it. And she was like, uh, no, you know, that's about repairing video cameras. I'm like, oh, okay. What do yeah, I yeah, yeah. You know, I literally knew nothing. And she's like, listen, she says, I need somebody to videotape my casting sessions. Oh, cool. So if you want to come in and do that for me, that would be great. She goes, and you meet people. I'm like, okay, great. So I started doing that for her. And it was true. I would meet these directors as they were casting for their commercials. And I made up a card and I'm like, hey, you know, if you need anybody, I'm totally willing to help. And so I finally got somebody to, you know, give me a job as a PA. Yeah. And he's like, he said, well, I can only pay you 50 bucks. I'm like, 
pay me. I'll do it for yeah, free. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he was like, listen, here's your first lesson. Don't work for free. Yeah. I'm like, okay, great. And he goes, but here's 50 bucks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fine, whatever. You know, and I did it. And then I started getting more and more work on commercials as a PA, um, you know, literally sweeping up cigarette butts in the parking lot when nice. we were done doing all kinds of stuff. And then it was, but then it started to conflict with my real job. So what I did is I switched to the third shift in my other job so I could have my days free. So I was doing days where I would like work all night and then show up on a commercial set in the morning. Oh man. Yeah. And then try to drive trucks and stuff and like fall asleep. Yeah. (laughs) Jeez. But whatever, you know, I got in that way. And you know, as you know, when you get in this business and if you show any aptitude at all, it just snowballs. Yeah. It just snowballs. And there were, I did like 30 commercials all as PAs, pretty much? Yeah, pretty much. Well, I started off as just like a regular PA, and then I became an art department PA. You drifted towards yes, them. Yes, yeah. And then I got on a movie, a Horton Foote movie, called okay. On Valentine's Day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, um, and I got on as a lead man. Yeah. Yeah, and it was crazy. So you had gained enough experience in the art department at that point. How old were you? Oh, God. I was... Uh, you just put in like a couple years at this point? Yeah, I was like 20... Yeah. Two. Yeah. Twenty one, twenty two. Yeah. So twenty three, I guess. Twenty three. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what took you out of Dallas then? Well, let's see. What took me out of Dallas was again another woman. Um, she was from Pittsburgh. Oh, okay. Now, now things are coming together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we had gone back for Christmas or whatever, and I had interviewed at a at the TV station there. Yeah. And it looked like I was going to get the job. So we were like, okay, we're going to just do it. We're going to make the move. And so we moved back. I ended up not getting the job. Mm. And, you know, there I was. But, you know, at the time, Pittsburgh was already somewhat of a film hub because of George Romero. Right, right, right. Okay. Um, he had done all the Day of the Dead, Dawn of the Dead yeah, movies yeah. there. And, and then, of course, Fred Rogers was there with uh, KCET. And, um, and, and there was somewhat of a community. CMU had all these, uh, these talented people coming out of CMU. And uh, so I ended up getting on uh, doing, again, doing some commercial work mm-hmm. there. It was definitely sustaining me. Yeah. And then, you know, one thing led to another. I My first movie, I was a PA on Dominic and Eugene. Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, and then again, you know, the, the what happened in Pittsburgh was is that it was a lot of people came into Pittsburgh to film Pittsburgh for New York. Yeah. Because, you know, we were non-union at the time. It was cheap to shoot there. Yeah. And and we started doing a lot of movies. Yeah. A lot of movies. So and you started getting a lot of jobs. Then. I started getting a lot of jobs. And again, like I said, you know, in Pittsburgh during the early days, you know, you got a job doing whatever was available. Yeah. Okay. It's like the mixed locals like they have now all over the country. It's yeah. Like there's just wasn't enough work to just, Stay in one field. Yeah. So I was a location scout. You know, uh, again, I was a cat wrangler on the Dario Argento movie. That was in Pittsburgh. That was in Pittsburgh. Yeah. And uh, you Mr. Know, Rogers' neighborhood. Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. All oh, right. And then I, uh, I got uh, again. There was a family, the Garrigans, in Pittsburgh. With Marty was the prop master. Tom Garrigan was the younger brother who was just getting into props. And Eileen Garrigan is a first class um, scenic. George Scenic and uh, did a lot of stuff. And I started working for Eileen as a as a scenic. And that's how I ended up on Silence of the Lambs. Oh yeah, as a scenic. <laughs> that's pretty. Were you on the whole movie? 
I was on the whole movie. Yeah, that's I mean, pretty awesome. Yeah, I mean, some of it was shot in Quantico, Virginia, but most of the bulk of that movie was all shot in Pittsburgh. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, it was it was amazing. You know, I wasn't on set much, you know, because you know I was a scenic, so I was doing a lot of aging work and stuff. But then I became the guy who skinned all the vehicles, like all the oh, emergency cool. vehicles. So I got to go to set a lot there, and then I started. And that's where you know I started to get more of the bug. Of, oh, the set's where it's net, where it's at. Yeah, you know, you start seeing it and then getting pulled away. Yeah, like I really want to be back there. Right, and then I was a set dresser for a long time. Yeah, um, on a lot of you know movies in Pittsburgh. And I'm sorry, man. God bless set dressers, but yeah. man, that is some hard ass work, man. Yeah, I, I humped a lot. Yeah, you know, it's, it was brutal. It's tough. <laughs> yeah, you know, and um, you know, and these decorators would come in from out of town and they just like grinded us. <laughs> yeah, I, I honestly, I feel like set dressing. I mean. Set dressing out of town, which I've done, <laughs> and I think it's a lot harder because you're not. I mean, you're usually you're going to a whole bunch of different furniture stores usually. Yes. Than that, where at least in LA, where you have like the prop house and stuff, you have loading docks and stuff yes. to where you can just yep. wheel things out way easier. There, it's like ah, oh, sometimes you got to like huff it through all this crazy stuff. There's not as much stages yes. that you can just roll it to. You're going three flights of stairs. Yeah, you got it, man. You nailed yeah. it. Yeah, we uh, there was a we used to have a warehouse that the city had of dead office furniture that they would just let us get stuff out of. Nice. So we we're there all the time getting things. And I remember one movie we had to get forty filing cabinets, and we went to the location <laughs> and the elevator was broken, so we had to huff them up yep. five flights of to the top where we were shooting and then of course the day before the company came in they fixed the elevator yeah, for the company like they would yeah, <laughs> of and that was and I was like you know what uh, this got to be a better way so then I started becoming an, uh, I got into onset dressing yeah yeah so I came up a lot as a, I did a few things as an onset dresser and again I loved being on set right yeah I I think I, I went through waves to where it's like I was just set dressing, then I would do some onset dressing. And when I started doing props, I was like, all right, I'm not going to set dress anymore, but I'll take an onset dressing right. job. Yeah. So I think that goes into that. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, and again, I mean, because being an onset dresser, you are in the, you're in the mix. Yeah. You know, you're right there. You're with the DP, working with the DP and, mm -hmm. you know, working with the production designer. Yeah. And watching monitor. Yeah. And all, that stuff. all of that stuff. So uh, I, I really was into that, you know. Mm -hmm. And then Marty, um, I kind of went into like early retirement and, 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 and the business just started picking up. So the opportunity to become a property master came pretty quick. Yeah. I had no freaking clue what I was doing. So you just, <laughs> you saw people retiring and you're like, Oh, let's shift the focus now. Did you kind of, when you were on set dressing, did you knew no prop mastering was where you're going to want to end up at some point or? Well, I mean, I had assisted Marty on a couple Again, we did a lot of movie of the week, a lot yeah. of Hallmark Hall of Fame right. came through there. Um, so I assisted with Marty on, a, I think, one or two shows before I could, just got an opportunity to be a prop. They came in and, you know, they didn't want to bring in somebody. So who was available? And yeah. I was like, I'll do it. Yeah. I'll try it. Whatever. I mean, I remember the first, I did, did this thing with Meredith Baxter Bernie called Bump in the Night. Well, Chris Reeves was in it too. And uh, I literally had a, headache that i could not get rid of for like the first two months of that show was that just due to crippling anxiety yeah 100 <laughs> because i was making it up every single yeah. day you know and i didn't know enough to like or have enough experience to trust the people around me so yeah. i was trying to do everything and it, it was yeah yeah 
It was brutal. That makes that sounds like how it starts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, everybody's had that story, right? So, how long were you in Pittsburgh? For? I was in Pittsburgh for seven years. Seven years. Yeah, and you were consistently working in the film industry almost the whole time. I was definitely in the film industry the whole time. Nice, um, but I I don't know about consistent. consistent. <laughs> there was definitely some anywhere. lean days for yeah. sure. Um, but again, we you know I just took whatever I could get on any whatever show, and and you know I was building up a reputation so that was as the pittsburgh prop master as, as the pittsburgh prop master yeah me and marty um and i had tommy garrigan with me assisting me and you know we were the six killer team that's awesome yeah then what, what was the thing that brought you to los angeles then well again uh, this movie came into town or actually i was in la for something i was visiting something in it and i interviewed for this movie house guest Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and, yeah. Yep. You know, and I met with Randy. That, that shot it, in L.A. It did. No, it's sh- it's shot in Pittsburgh. It shot was coming. It was shooting in Pittsburgh, and I just happened to be in L.A., so I took the interview there. I'm like, oh, I'm going to be in L.A. So was the listing was the listing like looking for a Pittsburgh local or something like I, that? I, like, know, it I, I can't so remember. So specific. Like, yeah. oh, I was just in L.A. and there's this movie shooting in Pittsburgh interviewing. Here. Yeah. No, I, I think I had heard about the movie before I went to L.A. Gotcha. And um, so I was able to make that coordinate. I was like, oh, well, I could meet the director because I'm going to be in Los Angeles. And they're like, oh, okay, that'll be great because otherwise they were going to just wait until he came to Pittsburgh. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So I met with him, who is the infamous Randall Miller. Yeah. 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 Um, and uh, Randall Miller directed this? Or? He did. Oh, He did. Damn. And we shot on a train track. Yeah. <laughs> An active train track? And uh, Well, no. Well, I mean, it was, but it was all copacetic. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll reach out here and take a, you know, the chance of getting hammered but i just have to say that randall miller is a good guy he was a good guy i mean he made a horrible horrible decision totally okay and you know and he's responsible for that but right um he and jody his wife were some of the nicest people i've ever met you know and unfortunately you know um Again, there's this culture that we all know, and it's not as prevalent now as it used to be. And right. it's certainly not as prevalent in Los Angeles as it is when you're on a location. Totally. But there's this, you know, the whole idea of cinematic immunity. Yeah. Okay, that, oh, we're a movie company. We could do whatever we want. Right. You know, and that's like a real thing. Yeah, you it know? is. People <laughs> really felt that way, okay, yeah. because the cities open up everything for you. They, yeah. You know, they, they're, they're accommodating about everything. Yeah. So you get this false sense that you're bigger than than reality. Yeah. And I think that that's what happened with Randall Miller. Okay. Yeah. And, and I don't think that, um, I, it was, again, it, his head just got too big and, you know, and it was awful. Yeah. What happened. And, and things got Inexcusable. Yeah. And I don't think he should ever direct again. Yeah. Okay. But, um, but he's not the demon that everybody thinks. Right, right. The saying. experience was decent. Okay, yeah. I mean, him and his wife were really great. I was working on a screenplay at the time. They read my screenplay for me. Whoa. And they were really nice people. Yeah. Um, and it's really tragic all yeah. the way around. Yeah, happened. totally. So um, <clears throat> so anyway, uh, I met with him. He's like, yeah, great. You could, you know, I'd love to have you on the show. I'm like, okay, good. So I went back to L.A. And, um, back to Pittsburgh. Or, I mean, yeah, yeah, back to Pittsburgh, sorry. And... Um, one of the accounting girls on the show was somebody I'd worked with on a previous show, and she was on. And so we were out, we were prepping, we were getting everything going, and uh, I went out to dinner with her, and we were having this discussion, and she said something about uh, about the union, you know, because in the meantime, P- 
Pittsburgh had started to organize. Oh, okay. Okay, because because yeah. uh, New York came in and they and to be honest, they th- they saw that a lot of work was leaving New York for Pittsburgh, and they thought, well, we should just organize this town. Yeah. Okay. But what I and a lot of people were afraid of was is that as soon as we organized, they were just going to go back to New York. Right. And that's exactly what did happen for a period of time. I mean, they've now recreated that industry, but for a while there, all the work left Pittsburgh after yeah. they organized. So I was kind of against the union coming into Pittsburgh at yeah. that time. And so I was having lunch with this friend of mine, and she mentioned the union, and she said something about the show being union. And I was like, hmm. I said, this is a union show? She goes, oh, yeah. I was like, well, I'm not in the union. Yeah, I got the job, and I'm not in the union. <laughs> yeah, and she's like, well, wait a minute. You have to be in the union. I said, well, I'm not. Yeah. She's like, well, you have to join this local. I'm like, I'm not going to join this local. And she's like, well, what about 44? I'm like, yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I will definitely join that uh, local. And uh, she's like, okay, great. And that's how I got in. And you could just join like that back then? or Apparently, because the thing was, is because I was already on the show, so it was kind of like, I mean, they couldn't fire me. Yeah. Okay, so they had already hired me, so they had to basically grandfather me in. Oh, okay. You know, it's kind of like if a show goes union that you've already that you've already on. signed the paperwork yeah. and stuff too yeah yeah yeah. That, that's how my one of my assistants actually got it yeah was we were able to get the paperwork in before they turned it in so he flipped in technically yeah, exactly that's yeah. exactly what happened to me so and it was soon after that um my my marriage was breaking up and i was ready to go and uh i moved to la not f- long after that yeah and um, and then after you've done this movie, but you feel like you have a little bit of a little bit of contacts there. I'm sure L.A. would come out to do movies every once in a while in Pittsburgh too. Did you come with a bunch of contacts or to Los Angeles? Yeah, in well, LA. I did have yeah because again a lot of people would come into town. I I got hi- I actually got hired to come into L.A. and do a pilot. Oh, interesting. Isn't that weird? Yeah, it's really you weird. No, when I think back about it, it's like, oh my god, this. UPM brought me in from Pittsburgh yeah. to do a pilot in Los Angeles. Yeah. I had no idea what I was stepping into. Okay? No. You know, because again, back then in Pittsburgh, you know, uh, I would get a show and we would um, we would drive our own prop truck. You yeah. Know, we got a 10 ton from the local Haddads, it was called, that did all the trucks for everybody. Yeah. And uh, we would rack it out and I would, we would drive our own truck. Okay. Yeah, you know, and that's so, what we did in Florida. Too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, so when I got to L.A., this this freaking UPM, it's like, oh yeah, sure, we'll get you a truck, and he's, you know, okay, all right, fine, I'll drive it. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and I drove, and I was driving my truck. They, I came out and and I went to ISS because I've been working with ISS because I, you know, I did a couple big um, shows uh, in Pittsburgh as Rottmeister did. Um, yeah, this uh, thing of uh, Citizen Cone, yeah, with, with um, James Woods about um, Roy Cone, yeah, okay, and that was epic. We did four decades, yeah, you know, and I had all these cameras and stuff that I had to ship out right. from, from ISS, and uh, so I knew Greg Bilson and Cheryl Pendergrass and uh, these old timers there, and um, so when I came in, I'm like, hey, you know, Greg, I'm going to need somebody local, you know, and he hooked me up with this old time prop master, Chris Aguilla. Yeah, and uh, who's who's gone now? But uh, so he was my assistant here, and I remember on day one, I we parked I parked the prop truck, and then they when I came out there, I was like, "Where's the trail? Where's the truck?" 
Yeah. And Chris is like, it's down there. And I'm like, so there was like this whole line of vehicles. And of course, a prop truck's always the last one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the line of vehicles. <laughs> yeah. But in this case, there was like another whole block that was empty. And then the prop truck was right. there. I'm like, what's going on? And Chris is like, I don't know. Let me get into it. So he goes and he comes back. He goes, uh, he goes yeah, the uh, Teamsters, they want to kill you. I'm like, what? And he's like, you're driving your own truck. Oh. I'm like, I'm not supposed to. He goes, uh, no. <laughs> I'm like, well, nobody told me that. Yeah. I don't care. You know, and yeah. I had to like go down and talk to the, you know, it was the Hawaiian Teamsters, you know, yeah. Tui Paluti, you know, and these guys were serious, man. And I was like, okay, I am so sorry. Yeah. I, I don't want to drive my truck. Yeah. You know, and I talked to, you know, this UPM and he's like, oh, sorry, I didn't know. And I'm like, really? <laughs> <laughs> so that was kind yeah, of take like, it. <laughs> my scary introduction to coming to LA. And, uh, and I met a girl. <laughs> <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> yes, I met a girl. Um, and, uh, and, she was, she's like my soulmate, you know, we just had our 25th wedding nice. anniversary. Nice, congratulations. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, uh, and we had a, we had a baby, we got, she got pregnant and we, uh, and I wasn't going to make the same mistake, yeah. um, of not being around. Yeah. Okay, because, you weren't going to travel around and well, take Well, yeah. This. And even when I was in Pittsburgh doing non-union, you know, those were six day weeks. Yeah. Okay. And those were 17, 18 hour days every single day. Yeah. Okay. So I was never home. Yeah. Okay. And that was corrosive, as anybody knows who's who does this. And and it was like I'm, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. You know, I want to be home. I want to be with my family, and uh, I want to do this. Um, so I just started focusing more on television. There's a lot of television happening. Yeah, and it's so, more of a consistent local yeah, schedule. Exactly. Did the switch to TV because it was almost all features, and then you start switching to TV? Yep. Was it a hard transition? Because the, I mean, it's a little bit different than features. It is a little different, you know. It's a different culture that I had to, you know, get used to. I had a little bit of experience with the whole, you know, prep while they're shooting, you know, and right. that whole thing took a little bit of time to get used to to and, pull you away from set. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You know, yeah. I mean, but you know, actually, by then I was kind of okay with it, you know, yeah. because. I, you know, I didn't feel like I needed to be on set all the time, you know, a uh, couple of the, uh, like I assisted Doug Fox on uh, Volcano. Oh, Volcano, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and there was this one day where we were shooting this epic, freaking amazing scene. And I was just like, I just want to be home. <laughs> you know, and I was like, uh, okay, well, that's not good. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, you know, even though, uh, and again, I felt like I really got to live the whole life of being on set all the time. And I loved it, and I loved the thrill of it, but I also realized that I can't have both. Yeah. So I guess I could give that up. And I, you know, and I could still be creative and still create all the props, you know, mm -hmm. and, and acquire all the props. And, you know, so it is. It's a little bit of a shift, you know, in that, that again, there's it's like two separate entities. You know, there's the prepping of an episode, and then there's the shooting of an episode. You know, and you're always working with the next director of the episode while the current director is shooting. Right. You know, and you have to vacillate between the two. But for me, it really comes down to Michael the fact that I could, you know, in episodic TV as a property master, you don't have to be on set. Right. Okay. Which means you could keep normal hours. Yeah. Or fairly normal yeah. hours, you know, unless things are going crazy. Especially now that things are a little bit more digital. Yeah. And I think that's like a huge thing. And I think we, me and, me and Jackie didn't decide, like we 
almost had accepted that we probably weren't going to have a child. And, and right. like we did, we wanted one, but it's just like, well, this lifestyle is we love. Right. <laughs> and we don't want to leave it. And I think, I think things coming back after COVID is what was the nail in the coffin because mm. realizing there, everything was switching to Zoom and they were doing stuff. And then she started coordinating for me, which was like a huge turning point because we're like, like we're doing receipts and we're doing a lot of like research and stuff at home already. Right. Like this is, we could be home a yeah. lot, yeah. <laughs> which will be fantastic. It's Absolutely. like, Oh, we have a daycare schedule. Like you drop them off at six and then you have to pick them up at five. It was like, you can have that schedule, yep. especially if you're coordinating for exactly. me. Like you're never going to miss that pickup. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I think that's when it started becoming a reality and it's like, we're still getting the work done and we can still do all that stuff. And I think we could have a family and things will still have to slow down in certain areas, sure. but, but yeah, I think it's feeling good. <laughs> no, I, and I think you'll be successful at it, you know, and cause like you said, I mean, the industry has changed so much from the, the early days and it has become so much more mainstream in so many ways. I mean, even in shopping, you know, with we have so much more resources to yeah. get things, you know, and, and if, again, if you have a great crew, that's yeah. everything, okay? Because if you know that you could go home at night and know that your crew has your back yeah. and that they're, you know, they're representing you well and set, then you're good. You know, and again, with me and my shopper, Laura Eiler, who we've been together for like 15 years yeah, or more than that now, I mean, and I literally would not do a show without her. Yeah. If they, and I been offered shows where they're like no you can't have a shopper i'm like well see ya have a nice day yeah i'm not doing it without her um you know because we have a second nature you know and, yeah you know she know like it's 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 like this thing that doesn't need to be said no and, and <laughs> no yeah and and again and i i you know again i i gain a lot of accolades being the property master but i literally couldn't do it without her yeah she's your shopper you said she's well she's my shopper but in the past several shows she i've been getting her an ass, assistant property master credit because she good. just is that good okay she's way more than a shopper does she does she have like does she have all like your amazon and ebay passwords oh, yeah. and stuff? <laughs> <Are you kidding laughs> me? let's say if yeah. other people do that it's like me and my wife it's easy but yeah. it's just like it's like oh, man yeah. getting to that comfortability level to where it's just like you don't need to worry about receipts for online purchase anymore because they already got them. All. Yeah, no, she knows where all the skeletons are buried. I mean, she wants to take me out. I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, let's see. No, seriously, she. I mean, again, it's just, and it's such an easy rapport that we have. Yeah. And uh, and again, uh, we both don't have a desire to like work insane hours. Yeah. So we come in at a reasonable hour, and we're usually out of there by six. Yeah. Okay, and it can be done. Yeah. I mean, you know, and I know that other property masters and especially younger ones are still trying to figure it out because I used to work insane hours yeah. to get things done. But now I realize I could get it done a lot faster than I used to. So why not? You know, and I used to feel guilty about like bugging out at six, you know, and the whole wardrobe department was still there or whatever. I'm like, well, whatever, we're done. Yeah. You know, and, and half the time I would go home and, you know, break down a script or yeah. read. It's like, I don't have to be in the office the whole time. Right. Okay. So, yeah. you know. Yeah, a lot of times I'm still getting home at 1 a.m., but I'm sure now. Sure. Now that's going to change. Yeah, real absolutely. Quick. <laughs> um, let me see here. Uh, alias seems to be a huge turning point on this credit list. Uh, was that like a huge it show was. for you as far as like as starting to be coming up as like a more notable prop master or anything? Well, it was huge for me and a turning point for me because it was the first. Um, show that I did where there was a lot of builds. Oh, I had to build a lot. Okay. Of yeah, yeah. Okay. And it was also, you know, a more, well, I guess I 
did more gun shows before then, but it was it it was mostly that having to build all the Rambaldi stuff, coordinate all that, and uh, and then just all the gadgets that had to be made all the time. For. So that was uh, a kind of a sea change for me, you know, because I didn't have to do that as much, you know. So it, for me, learning how to do all the manufacturing, you know, working with I started off working with a company called Neotech. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, <laughs> which is uh, Lonnie. Goodman and the guys who are down at HBR. Right, now, right, yeah. Uh, they were in Burbank, so it was super close. Um, and then when they moved, I was like, okay, that's like a half a day away. I'm yeah. S- <laughs> uh, as much as I love you guys, yeah. I, I have to start going um, to Lewis yeah. uh, at ISS. Yeah. You know, and they do great work as, up there as well. So, um, so yeah, so I did a lot of work up there. And I know the point I was going to make was is that there was also, I mean, my budget on that show in – 1999 2000 was $20,000 an episode. Really? Yeah. Which was a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I mean, it, I, it took me a long time to get to that kind of budget again on an episodic TV. I don't know why they gave me that much money, but I used all of it. Yeah. To build all that stuff. I mean, you have to, otherwise they w- will stop giving it to you, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> exactly. I mean, uh, I, I try to be the prop master that, you know, if I could save money, I, I will, but I'm also not going to be so under budget that they will take my money right, the next exactly. season because yeah, they will yeah. do that. Yeah. So, um, but I, I'm a pretty frugal property master. Yeah, I am too. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I don't have any, you know, desire to like, you know, see how much I get. Well, gaining spend. the line producer's trust, I think, is like a huge part of uh, absolutely of her or them not being on top of you 24-7 yeah. and giving you leeway when something does come up that costs a little bit more money exactly. without having to over-explain yourself. Yeah, well, I think that that only helps us, you know, to present ourselves and to act in a way in which they understand that we're part of their team. Right. You know, that they're not our adversary, you know. And yeah. They, you know, so... Yeah, did you find did you do you like doing stuff like Alias where you have like a lot of like this little sci-fi stuff and and the stuff with the builds did like do you like that a lot more than stuff that you had done previously before that point? Yeah, absolutely. I do because again, I I I'm a designer, mm-hmm. you know, and then I learned how to do Photoshop and um I never did learn Illustrator, but I used to use this program called Freehand. Oh yeah, I don't know if you ever heard of that. No, one, but um, that was kind of like an Illustrator program. But then I, the Apple stopped supporting it, so I started doing everything in Photoshop. And I understand intrinsically that yeah, yeah. Illustrator is a better program for what I do. But I'm just so such an old dog that I just like I've learned how to whip. I'm Photoshop the same way. I don't know Illustrator. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, because you know, I, I could do a lot by taking a photograph and then bringing it in and manipulating it. Right. You know, so um, to do drawings and designs for things yeah you know and so uh, yeah i love that part and so you'll do a lot of your own concepts then yeah absolutely like on alias you know like i said with the uh, andy you know i would get these scripts that say small black device you know and, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and it'd be great because you have to you have to get into what it is that they wrote that thing for because it means something right you know they just don't want to describe what it is but you know what they're what the small black device is supposed to achieve yeah so that gives you the creative license to be like okay i know what it's supposed to do so what cool way can we make this thing do what it's supposed to do yeah you know and and that was my the fun of it and you know i used to 
had great conversations with JJ, you know, showing him stuff. And he was like, oh, that's great. I love that stuff, you know. Yeah. And I still have, you know, my portfolio full of awesome yeah stuff like and that, that gives you something to show up with was well, like oh this little black device here's what i came up with yeah. what do you think about this absolutely i feel like that's the best way because at least it gives you like if a director's going to give you notes then immediately they have something to base it off of than just a black device right <laughs> exactly. like, well if you change this here the side of the rest of it looks great it's like yeah. okay cool yeah exactly. i can work with that <laughs> yeah you know and obviously with any director that you work with you have to there's that learning curve you know to figure out what they um you know what turns them on you know and it's different with everybody you know so with me and jj it didn't take long fortunately yeah you know so i was able to have a lot of freedom yeah to design stuff good yeah you still you're still friends with jj today i don't know if i'd say friends we're yeah. i mean let, let me tell you jj abrams is one of the good guys yeah yeah <laughs> I, mean, I mean he's one of the guys who didn't change yeah with fame and fortune Okay, I mean, uh, again, when we were starting the Property Masters Guild, um, I reached. We all reached out to people that we knew for a quote. Yeah. About what props meant to them, and I reached out to JJ, and he freaking came up. He showed up, you know, and he's and he's out, you know, he's always been great. When he did his first Star Star Wars, yeah, I sent him an email about how you know I thought it was such a beautiful movie and such a great opportunity for women. Yeah. That he was presenting, you know, and he got right back to me and thanked wow. me, you know, and he's just, you know, he's just one of the good guys. Yeah. He really is. So, uh, you know, I, I owe a lot to, to him. Yeah. Lost is one of my favorite shows of all time. Yes. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> I have to throw that in. <clears throat> my dog's named Hurley after one of the characters. Wow, nice. <laughs> yeah. So great. So, yeah, it looks like after that, it's almost years. You went almost, you almost went almost 10 straight years of almost... All TV. All TV with like a couple of movies sprinkled in here and there. Um, and then you slowly, I mean, we're starting to see movies start to get back. I mean, you're still doing mostly TV today, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the last, you know, I, yeah, I think the only TV, the only, well, I did Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because who wouldn't? Yeah. Right. And okay. is that, that's something that you sought out, right? <clears throat> it was not. No? I mean, that's a long... Yeah twisted story um of how the how i got involved in that i mean i would never have gotten involved with once upon a time in hollywood except for the fact that um cindy ma who is um i had worked with her she's an onset dresser i worked with her on the john claude von johnson oh yeah which if you haven't seen that you have to see it it's so much fun i will <laughs> um yeah uh, again a lot of really great props i got to build in that show but she was the onset dresser and i had actually worked with her years ago on journeyman because that was a show that was set in san francisco but shot in la she's from san francisco so we went up there to shoot for like 10 days and she was on the set dressing department so i met her briefly then and then when i years later doing the jean claude von johnson she was the onset dresser, and I was working with her. And I had a onset master who was weak. Okay, um, you know he's a good guy. He's you know he's become a great, a, a much better prop guy than he was then. Was he just inexperienced? Just inexperienced, yeah, yeah, yeah. and just you know not really able to like take the bull by the horns as much as he needed to. And you know Cindy Maul, anybody who knows her, she's a really um, big character. Yeah. Okay, and she is somebody who like. Um, is fastidious on set okay she is like dialed in like no not most people are yeah you know like when it comes to continuity and stuff like that she's like right there 
Um, and she was always feeding me. I would come, she's like, you know, your guy, you didn't do this and blah, blah, blah. You know, and so we developed a little bit of a relationship there. Cut two, I was doing Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I think, it, yeah, it was the Nine-Nine. It was, I get a call from her and she's like, hey, what do you do in the summer? I'm like, I don't know. I don't have any yeah. plans yeah, yeah. as of right now. And she's like, I got this big feature. I'm like, you yeah, know, Cindy, I don't really do features. Yeah, yeah. And she was like, <laughs> you're still in the TV yeah, world. Totally. Yeah. I didn't, you know, I just didn't want that lifestyle. Yeah. And uh, she's like, well, you know, it's in town. I'm like, all right, well, I'm not going to say no. I, I said, well, what is it? She goes, I can't really talk about it right now. I'm like, okay. Fine. Okay. <laughs> she goes, I just want to know if you're interested. I'm like, okay, great. And I said, sure, I'm interested. So then, she, you know, cut to, she calls me back. She goes, okay, well, this is what it is. You can't really say anything yet. She goes, it's Quentin Tarantino's movie, and it's called Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And, uh, you know, it's about Hollywood in the 60s. And I'm like, oh, man, I love that idea. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You know, so, you know, I, I was, again, I wasn't 100% sold. I was like, you know, I haven't done a big feature, period. Okay, yeah. I mean, American Pie was like the biggest feature <laughs> <laughs> I did. You know, I did a smile like yours or something like that. You know, yeah. that was, you know, they were features, but they were the mad. biggest feature you had done at that point was skater stoner comedy. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was just, I mean, but again, you know, I've always come from the school of TV is a lot harder than features yeah. in a lot of ways because you have less time and less money. Yeah. Okay. And especially now, you know, the, where the production value is so high, they expect the same thing that they expect from a feature, but with less time and less money. Yeah. You know, so I kept having to tell myself that. But then, of course, it was like, well, and then there was the whole Tarantino factor. Yeah. And I was like, you know, and I'm a huge fan. Yeah, of course. Okay. And I'm like, well, you know, I, I definitely have to go forward with this. You know, so then it became about, you know, so. And I'm like, well, how is it that you know Tarantino? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Know, well, how's this going down? She's like, oh, I'm really good friends with him. We've been friends for years. And, you know, I, I do all of his movies, you know, and we're looking for a property master who will work with me, you know, on set. She didn't want to be the property master. I mean, Quentin was like, Cindy, you, you master. And she's yeah. like, I don't want to master. I don't, you know, that's not what I do. Yeah. You know, so she says, I just like the way you work. You know, I worked with you and, you know, I think we would work great together. So, you know, I, I really want you to come on board, you know, and Quentin's, you know, says whoever I want. I'm like, all right. Okay. <laughs> great. <laughs> you know, so I came in and I read the screenplay and after reading the screenplay, well, I was both thrilled and terrified. Yeah. How big is a screenplay? Quentin script is what I'm wondering. Is that like up to 400 pa pages? No, I think I want to say it was 180 pages. Okay, so it's like a typical or yeah. something like that, but it was dense. Yeah, you know, like when you read a screenplay, you see a lot of dialogue and then you know some slug lines and yeah. stuff. I mean, these were pages and pages. It was like reading a a a, a, a film manual. Yeah. Okay. Or like a novel. Yeah. I mean, he went into great detail and you know, like talking about the history of what he was talking, yeah, and what was happening, and you know, and and I kept thinking to myself, are we shooting all of this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, or is this going to be like archival footage or whatever? And I mean, I was sweating bullets halfway yeah. through that screenplay because, of course, with the Tarantino screenplay, you don't get it. You know, I had to go to an office. You have to give me your your cell phone, and you don't. Have a piece of paper. You don't take any notes. You just you don't go take in. any notes. No, you oh, just go okay. in. You read the thing and you leave. Because you haven't officially gotten the job or signed an NDA yet, or oh, well, no, you have I to sign an definitely NDA. signed the NDA, the NDA. But yeah, I had not officially gotten the job yet. I mean, because it was you know, come in, read the screenplay, and then you're going to meet with Quentin. 
Oh, right after. Well, not right after. Okay. No, no, no. That'd be way more intimidating. Yeah, Uh, Yeah, no. Well, how are you going to do this movie then? Um, Yeah, (laughs) dude, if I had to meet Quentin right after I read that screenplay, I probably would have cried. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, because I was so blown away. Yeah. You know, just overwhelmed reading that screenplay. I was like, oh my God, how in the hell is this? Am I going to do this? This is massive. Okay, unlike anything I'd ever seen. Okay, so, uh, you know, I remember walked out, I walked out of there, and they were like, what do you think? I'm like, yeah, it's fantastic. Okay, where's my car? You know, let me out of here. You know, so, but then I went home, and I immediately started researching. Yeah. Okay, like crazy amount of research. Yeah. You know, to start taking notes of things you remember. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, because I assumed going into it that it was going to be a lot about music, because I know he's really into music. But it yeah. turns out there was no music in it. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, you know, and then it's all part, about westerns because he's really well. Into yeah. Westerns. There was a whole western thing, you know, and that's the other thing, Michael. I've never done a western. Yeah. Okay. So talk about a learning curve. Right. Okay. I didn't even know how to put a spur on somebody. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Seriously. I mean, I was yeah. like putting a spur one day on Leo DiCaprio, and I was like down there trying to mess with it, and one of the uh, stunt guys walks over and leans over to me and goes, "It's upside down." I'm like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. You know, so, um, so yeah, so I did a lot of major research for that. And, and I, I, to this day, I'd say that one of the best parts of that whole experience for me was my interview with Tarantino. Yeah. Yeah. Because I came in there super prepared. Right. And not having anything to look back on to base stuff. So you, you had to go and prepare based off solely on memory, pretty much. Well, yeah. I mean, I, well, because again, I mean, you, you saw the movie, you know, what it, you know, it, there's Western and then there's, you know, all of the, you know, the period and, yeah. and you know, the back lot and, and, and then the murders and all of that. And that's all historic. Right. You know, so I was able to get a lot of information. And again, this is where Cindy Maul came in really handy or helpful to me was she said, listen, if you're going to go in and you're going to interview with Quentin, do not even think about bringing in a, a laptop or anything electronic. He doesn't do that. Okay. So if you were going to show him anything, you make sure you show him a photograph. Okay. Nothing else. Yeah. I'm like, okay, that's good. You know, so I went in there with 500, <laughs> over 500, eight by 10 photographs of, <laughs> and I had them all categorized by the things that I wanted to hit him with. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I basically did this huge presentation with him. And that's like down to the gun. Did you go in with like a picture of ice cubes and stuff? Cause I know <laughs> <laughs> I noticed when watching the thing. I was like, man, those ice cubes do look good. Watching that movie. <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah. Well, I, I'm sure I mentioned to him and, that I would never use a fake ice yeah, cube, yeah, yeah. and his response was, "Of course you wouldn't." Yeah, <laughs> you know what? What, are the, what were most of the pictures? Uh, like, what were the big hits that you were trying <clears throat> to base off of when you brought into him? Well, again, I did. I had a bunch of photographs about the Manson murders. You know, okay. I had to totally dig into all of that and get all that information out. And what, like, his posse would have and stuff like that. Well, yeah, I had Tex Watson's gun. You know, because yeah. there was you know, foot or um, you know uh, photographs of his. You know, that twenty-two with a super long barrel. Yeah. So I had all of that which you know he, he expected all of that but you know it's good to have it all in you know and so he knows that i know yeah you know and then um you like all of the different uh police gear uh of the time and um and then all of the behind the scenes you know the filmmaking the sets the yeah the, the chair backs and the the chairs and all that stuff and then like it was funny too michael because 
normally I would do everything like digitally, like we all do. You know? Yeah. You, we get, you get all these images. You make a board pretty yeah, much. Yeah. You, and you get all these images and they're all in a file on your computer and everything. What I discovered was is that when you have those photographs and you have them all laid out, you see things differently that you wouldn't see if they're all in a file. You know right. what I mean? And so what happened was one of the most amazing things for me was is that I was researching these photos of um, Sharon Tate and Roman Polanski as they were coming through the airport, coming back from Paris. And I noticed that there was one photograph where Sharon Tate was holding this cassette uh, player, this yeah. radio, as she was coming through. I was like, oh, that thing's cool. I gotta see if I can find that. And uh, But then when I was doing the research on, um, on the murders, there was some uh, crime scene photos. And in one of these crime scene photos, there was a cop a detective who was like pointing up at the ceiling at some blood that was splattered on the ceiling and way down at the bottom of the photograph, half cut off, was that radio sitting oh, on her table. Interesting. And I'm like, oh my God, it sent chills down my spine. Yeah. I was like, and then so I showed Quentin. I was like, look at this, what I found. I had it circled. Yeah. I was like, and then I showed him the picture of her carrying that thing. I said, that's awesome. I said, I'm going to find that no matter what, and we're going to put that in. And he's like, he was thrilled. He's oh, like, cool. He's like, oh, that's super cool. Yeah. And then the same thing, there was another photograph of her and Roman coming through the airport, and she was carrying this dog carrier. Yeah, yeah. That <laughs> she had Dr. Saperstein in. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I have to, I, I got to find that, and I couldn't find it anywhere. And, of course, the photograph's black and white, so I had no idea what the color of it was either. Yeah. So I just like started researching, f seeing if I could find fabric that looked like that, and I found some fabric. And then I contacted Linda Myers, um, you know, who's very helpful to us all in the industry. I don't know yeah. if you've ever worked with Linda. No. She's great at finding all kinds of bags and jewelry and stuff. Oh, cool. Um, and I contacted her. I said, "Do you have a bag maker?" She goes, "Yeah, I totally do." And so I worked with her and her people, and they built me this dog the same, carrier, yeah. the same dog carrier. Awesome. And uh, the, the problem was is that. After we built it, Quentin changed the size of the dog. He made it a much bigger dog. Oh, no. <laughs> so that dog, we had to shove that dog in that oh, thing. Yes. <laughs> and there was a scene where she takes him out of the dog here in the airport, and we had to like have the dog halfway out of the thing. Yeah. But, so did you know you were... Like by the, it was he interviewing other prop masters, I guess? Did you know right away I you had the job? No, I didn't know that he wasn't... Or that he was interviewing other people, or, or I, th I think I knew that there was other people because I know that the producer on the show was like, "Why?" She she said to Cindy Ma, she goes, "Why are we even interviewing this guy?" Oh, okay, he doesn't have any feature credits, right? And she's like, "Because I just know what Quentin wants and who he would like, and I think he'd be great." And she's like, "Well, okay, well, I'm bringing in other people too, yeah, okay, because I'm not going to just like throw some TV right. at him." Okay, and so one that was one of the other things too is like I know you know f just from knowing what I know about Quentin that he's a very visual person. Yeah. Okay, so when I printed my resume out, I printed it out like we have here with the IMDb with yeah. all of the the Little covers, pictures yeah, and stuff, the yeah. movie posters of every show that I did. Yeah. So and 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 I blew them up. Okay, so it was like. 14 pages long my resume that i walked in the door with yeah and and i came in and i noticed that he had my resume printed out okay but all they printed out for him was the features i did they didn't have any of my tv on there yeah okay because i guess they didn't think it was worthy of it right so i came in with my tv and the first thing that i showed him when i 
met him was I passed a photo across the table to him of him when he was on Alias. Oh, yeah. Okay, because he was in an episode of Alias. Right. And I said, we've actually worked together before. Yeah. And I showed him, he's like, oh, my God, I remember that thing. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. And that's how I started it. And then, you know, and he's, a to- he's totally into TV. Yeah. Okay. And he was thrilled with all my credit, yeah. my TV credits. You yeah. Know? So that was very helpful for it me. It might help with a big thing for him too, because I mean, even once upon a time in Hollywood, when you look at Quentin movies, his like every movie is cut into acts, but his are clear cut acts. Like right. you can almost cut a razor down when the act changes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, so even and sometimes they're not all in order. This right. one is a little bit more in order. So I mean. It's almost like it has. You could have like an episodic aspect to it. Like you could cut that into episodes, and it'd be it'd make kind of sense. They would have sure. a clear ending to each of those. Is it hard? Was it hard to keep track of um, continuity with the clear with the clear changes of an axe? But not only that, but then you have like the little vignettes of genres of like the shows that Leo is doing, right. and like the little like quirky commercials that he's in and the Nazi stuff. Yeah. Like was that was that all shot in order generally or was it like all over the place and I mean it was it was boarded and or it, the schedule was such that it, it you know it wasn't linear. Nothing yeah, ever of course. really is of but, course. But the thing about Quentin was is that, you know, he wanted to shoot all of the bounty law stuff first. He wanted to do all the Western stuff first and then move on to everything else. To the point of where when I was doing show and tells with him, he's like, I don't want to look at anything that's not that's not Western. Right. He goes, If you show it to me, I won't remember any of it. Yeah. Okay, so let's just do I just want to see the Western stuff first. So in that sense, that was good because we got all that stuff done and out of the way. Yeah. You know, and then we got to, you know, move into all the, you know, the 1969, you know, their real life. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And then as far as all the little vignettes, I mean, and there were so many more, Michael. That oh, we, really? That, I, I hear that the the first cut was four and a half hours long. I mean, oh. they cut a lot of stuff that we shot out of that movie. Yeah. Some great, great stuff that I keep hoping that he's going to do like a 10-part miniseries or something. Yeah. <laughs> extended version of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because there were some great scenes. In yeah. There, you know? All just more vignettes and more Yeah, vignettes. more vignettes. You know, there's this time where uh, uh, Cliff went to a record store and, oh, cool. and bought us a Tom Jones CD, you know, so I got to do all, you know, that was so much fun for me, you know, like uh, what John, Tom Jones yeah. CD would it be? I mean, we were doing so much research, like right down to, you know, the TV guy that was sitting on Cliff's TV tray when he was watching TV and yeah. you know, getting it to that right day, right? you know, and the, what was inside of that you know, making sure that that was correct. You yeah. Know, he was watching Mannix, you know, and it's like, so I want to make sure that that TV guide is yeah. the right one that has Mannix. How much it. prep time did you have on this? I had 12 weeks. Yeah. I think I wanted to say 12 Did it feel weeks. like it was enough? <laughs> it actually did. did. Yeah, you know, good. At the end of the day, it did. With a beast like that. <laughs> I mean. Well, like I said, I mean, and I say this all the time, whenever I accept a, a show whatever it is i started researching immediately okay so before i even really started my real prep i was already prepping a lot you know as far as like sourcing where things were going to come from and you know what we needed and you know one of the things for me was is that um you know, uh they had leo's character had uh, rick dalton you know he had that tape that real real tape right 
deck. Yeah. You know, and it was originally when it was scripted, he said just a, a, a cassette tape player. And I was like, hey, Quentin, how about reel to reel? That would be a lot of fun. He goes, oh, yeah, that's great. Let's do that. You know, and like, and that was one of the things too is like when we, you know, there's all those scenes where Rick is rehearsing against his tape deck, his tape recorder. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah. You know, he would, basically he would record himself playing both parts. Yeah, out in the pool. Yeah, and yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. You know, so we actually, you know, got into uh, his trailer. Uh, we went to Leo's trailer one day with me and the sound mixer, Mark Lano, and, uh, um, uh, and Quentin. And with my tape recorder, my reel-to-reel tape recorder, we recorded him saying all that. You know, really? Read it, read, you, know, you know, it wasn't a thing where they did it ADR and, you know, play, you know, dumped it onto the, he was like, no, no, we just record it right onto this thing. I'm like, okay, I did. Did that then, take a while? Because he's acting in those recordings too. Yeah, like, yeah 100%. I mean, it, it took a little while, but it wasn't that bad. But the scary part for me was, is that we recorded it the first time. And it's like, okay, let's hear it back. I'm like, so I rewound it and I played it back and he's like, why well, sounds different. His voice is like more sped up. I'm like, that's just the nature of the real, the real. Yeah. And it's like, oh, okay. You know, and it's like, it was like this epiphany that, wow, it's going to be sound different because yeah. that's just how the thing recorded. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and we wouldn't have known that had we just recorded, yeah. you know, with the sound mixer. And again, Mark was there to make sure we had a backup yeah. of what we were recording just in case something happened or it didn't work. Yeah. You know, so he was recording, you know, with his equipment, but all of that stuff was recorded on his, on his reel to reel and we had to play it back every time so right. we had to rewind it every time and that was a little scary because you know there was only one yeah tape. <laughs> yeah <laughs> i had several of those real real tape recorders but we only had one tape of him speaking yeah that so. sounds right <laughs> <laughs> so does does working with actors like leo and brad pitt margot robbie uh do you do you have conversations with them about like what a lot of their character props are going to look at? And do they have like heavy input on what they want and thought about it? Sure. Um, I had brief conversations with all three of them about it. None of them were re- like, were that, um, uh, they didn't have a lot of notes Yeah. about that. They, they, I mean, again, when I met with them, I showed them everything I had and yeah. they liked everything I had. Yeah. And I had pitched to Brad uh, or actually to Leo about using certs, you know, because he's a drinker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, hey, man, I'm going to give you one of these certs rolls, and if you want, you could be popping certs. And he's like, oh, I like that idea. And then somehow it morphed into Brad doing it. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, um, so that was cool. And then, of course, you know, we have all the cigarettes and then the, the beer and stuff. You know, that became a big Megillah on that show was all the beer, you know, because Quentin. Oh, worked. yeah. I had yeah. that thing with the, with the pull tops. Yeah. Which I've worked on a couple, like, classic shows, and those pull tops have been, like, the most difficult thing of like the whole freaking show to try mm. to get it, it well not only getting them but then you know it's one thing to get them because on winning time we had to get a lot of them and they were gone yeah but um god bless them up at iss they've sourced those things all over the world yeah <laughs> and, and brought them in and you know there was the the can maker who like went out of business and then they were trying to you know compel him to do one run of cans for us or whatever you know but the thing was is that of course Quentin wanted him to pop the top and it to rip spew, it off, yeah, you know, yeah, and, know, and get the the foam out of it, and that was a hard part because, you know, so ISS has the can sealers, yeah, but you can't pre-seal these things because they start they leaked, yeah, and the seams, 
So we would have to can them on the day. Oh, really? Yeah. And, uh, and a lot of times they leaked. Um, yeah. But, you know, but again, we just had many of them. And, and again, talking about, you know, we did that one commercial with Red Apple with Rick Dalton. We also did an Old Chad and Nuga beer commercial. Yeah. We did a couple of them. So you had a lot of those yeah, cans. So we, much. you know, and those things never made it in the movie. Did you have somebody out there doing it for you? Or did you have like a canner? How did you? Oh, were they, able yeah, to they do gave it us a canner. They gave you a canner that to do we it had on our truck that, you oh know, my and God. my crew, you know, we had it all set up, you know, and got, you know, folding tables are our God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we had them all set up and we were just like putting these cans together and praying that they weren't going to leak. <laughs> And put them in, you know, like when Brad's on the roof with a beer can and his right. tool belt and stuff, you know. Yeah. It's great. But, I mean, you can't beat it. You can't beat it when you no, pop the top so and good. the freaking foam spews out of that thing. Yeah, it yeah. looks so good. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, but that was a bane of our existence, those cans. Good God. Yeah. <laughs> the last thing I want to talk about with that movie is the flamethrower. Yeah. Did you? Did you? I know a lot of it was special effects, but. I got to tell you, the flamethrower came off the shelf at ISS. Did it really? It did. And did you, so you just handed it to... to I handed it to special effects, and they basically, we used the back, you know, the, the tank, and then he refabricated, refabricated the, the front of it, the, the gun, and then ran his propane tube through it. So he has a tube kind of going off the side then for a yeah. lot of those? That's, yeah. I, I, it's not just that end scene that it did. There's a few of them. Yeah. It's that test one. Yeah. <laughs> Can we bring the heat down? <laughs> it's yeah. a flamethrower. Yeah, no, that thing was scary. Yeah. Because, yeah, thing- you know, again, when I was interviewing with Quentin, he was telling me about that scene. You know, and the way he had it originally scripted was is that Rick goes, when she falls in the pool, he goes behind the bar and pulls his six shooter out and shoots her. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh, that's cool. And he goes, but I've been toying around with the idea of him going into his pool shed and coming out with the flamethrower. <laughs> I'm like, Oh my God, you have to you do have that. To. That's, that's fantastic. Yeah. But then in my head, I was thinking, yeah, we're shooting in studio city. There's no way they're going to let us f- shoot off a flamethrower up there. But of course, you know, locations made it happen and we did. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that no, was, that's the best part of the entire movie. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty wild. The finale is just yeah. absolutely fantastic. Yeah, it, it was fun to talk about that with him for sure. Um, so yeah, the flamethrower. You know, there was I forgot what we ended up on the day. Quentin was like, "Oh, I want to, you know, print something on the side of this," and I forgot what it was now. But uh, uh, Vinnie J, the best on set painter in the business who was with us he he freaking painted that on the day um the little slogan that was on the side yeah 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 (laughs) that was pretty cool yeah really cool um so i want to throw moving on uh one of your your own questions back at you have you read anything or seen any show or is there a project that you haven't been able to work on that you've always wanted to work on yes yeah. There's a couple. Well, I, uh, like I mentioned with Andy, you know, Unfrosted, the, oh, right, the one right. that's coming out. Uh, I I read that screenplay and I was I thought for sure I was going to get that, and then I didn't, um, and so that was kind of disappointing for me. And I really look forward to seeing that. But before that is uh, a Coen Brothers movie. I, I really I'm a huge right. Coen Brothers fan. Yeah. Um, I think that you know uh, Miller's Crossing is one of my favorite movies of all time. Right. And, you know, Doug Fox did the props on that and. From the opening scene of the ice going in the glass and yeah. spinning around, it was just such beauty. Yeah. Um, so I've always said that um, I would, if I was retired or whatever, if I got an opportunity to do a Coen Brothers movie, I'd come out of retirement to do it. Yeah. So 
that that's like my my uh, dream job is to do a Coen Brothers movie. Yeah, sure. Coen Brothers movie would be really cool. There's a lot of really big directors that I think. I think Coen Brothers one. I mean, how many movies do you think they have left? I don't know. You know, maybe a few. Maybe a few. I don't have that many left myself. Yeah, that, that, that's fair. Um, <laughs> or, or Guillermo del Toro. I would also love to do one of his. Yeah. Yeah, he's got some good ones. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I mean, he's doing that. I mean, it was a. <clears throat> did they have a pot prop master for the new Pinocchio? Well, they must have had something. I mean, did you have you have you seen that movie? Yes, I have. Did but, you see the making of that movie? I didn't see the making video. No, not yet. <sighs> Unbelievable. All that. But stuff I'm wondering how like that position comes into a movie that's like, kind of. I mean, everything's kind of built for it, custom anyway. Yeah, I don't know. I guess there must there must be like a prop bit maker who makes all the props for all the claymation dudes so i mean somebody has to design all that but i don't know if it's i don't know if that's a 44 position to be right with you. yeah probably not <laughs> yeah probably not yeah, whether like they even model maker i'm sure they didn't shoot it here in the states anyway oh, a thousand day shoot that was a thousand day shoot yeah, yeah that's time consuming stuff oh, right when there you watch and make it it's like oh my god talk about tedious yeah <laughs> good god and it's flawless it's such a beautiful film it is it's really beautiful yeah um so um, we should talk about the Property Masters Guild, huh? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So the Property Masters Guild is something that was born out of COVID pretty much, right? Yes. And well, you... <laughs> that's where it, it it came into reality. It came COVID, into reality. But it had been wor- in the works way before that. Okay. Yeah. And you, you Greg Bilson, Josh Meltzer, and Hope Parrish mm-hmm. all kind of got together to get the wheels going right. so to speak so how did this all happen well again as hope would tell you you know there have been many attempts throughout the years to start a, a guild in with property masters right. uh, including with her dad um but because of that whole culture that we talk about all the time where prop masters were very insular you know and didn't like to share much with each other so much um i think that you know, it always devolved into some kind of infighting, and then just went away. Yeah, because you, know, you know, all of us prop masters, we all have egos, and you know, we're big characters. And you know, and then again, the other thing that um, was challenging for us as well is is that we're all working property masters, and when you're working, you're working. Yeah, you know? and you you have, you're lucky you have time for your family, let alone anything else. Right. So you know that that has been and continues to be our biggest challenge, um, <clears throat> but. What had happened was is that Greg and Josh were having conversations about a property master's guild and myself and Greg were having discussions about property master's guild and Hope and Greg were having discussions about yeah. it. Yeah, Greg, oh, Greg is kind of the rounder is, of everybody that that's sees right. everyone. And that's right. Greg is the linchpin to the whole thing. You know, so he, we were all having these conversations with him, you know, without any of us knowing. And so it was finally, it was Greg who said, listen, you know, let's all get together and talk about it. So we had a meeting with the four of us in his, uh, at his conference table in his office one day. And that's where the Property Masters Guild was born. You know, we decided, okay, we're going to go for it. And so we started, you know, uh, and again, one of the things that helped was there were two things for, in my view that um, were instrumental besides COVID, but one was... Um, Josh starting this um, Facebook page, you know, where uh, of the um, where all the property masters were able to speak and and 
uh, coordinate with each other and you know share resources and everything. Right. You know that was a huge sea change for all of us, um, and it kind of brought us all together. And then the other thing was, um, uh, you know, again, COVID was the impetus that got us actually rolling. Did you guys meet before COVID? Was that well? We did meet before COVID a couple times, you know, to get the ball rolling. Um, But then uh, it was um, things were kind of like happening slowly. Yeah. Um, But anyway, so uh, what? What? What consisted of these meetings? Was it just like what? What is our purpose, and what are we gonna try to accomplish? And yeah, and, and, and that initially it was, um, it was just that you know us trying to figure out what the steps were, what it was gonna look like, um, as far as like, are we going to be an exclusive um, entity where you know it was just like you know like the A- ASC. You know, where it was like, just like the cream of the crop of the property masters, you know, and then quickly we started realizing that, well, we don't want to be that insular, you know. You right. Know, we, we don't want to be like this exclusive club, you know, where we think we're better than anybody. Yeah. You know. Um, Not at all. Yeah. So, you know, we want to, you know, and again, for me, you know, there were there were a couple of things that um, that were at the, the embryonic uh, stage of the property masters guild. One was was this notion, this reality that we are not being well represented, right? And as a craft, yeah, and in the in the in the industry and in um, the art of cinematography, right? Okay, you know, and we all have known that for years. You know that you know we're not involved in any awards. We don't even have our own IMDb um, classification. You know, yeah. even though we are you know, our own department, the property masters, our props department, um, you know, and that you know, we needed to get a seat at the table, yeah. you know, and to get some respect really is what it came down to, you know, cause so many people don't even know what we did or what we do or what our job description is. And especially the general public doesn't know anything about props. And that's what it was. And that was what the other impetus was, was that, that, a video came out called Why Props Matter. Right. Okay. And when that came out, I mean, that, I mean, uh, to me, I couldn't believe that that wasn't a prop person who put that thing together. Right. Because it was so gorgeous. Not only was it gorgeous and well done, but they nailed it. Yeah. He nailed it about what we do and and why props do matter. You know, that that we do build character. Yeah. Okay. That what we do is to help we're a tool for actors and directors and we're storytellers. We really are. Okay. And, and we give people the objects of life that everybody uses. And to me, that was just like, Oh my God, it, it, it was so inspiring for me personally that I was like, yeah, we really need to make something happen with this. Um, you know, so, but for me, the other part of it was, and for a lot of us was the notion that, you know, and Josh talks about this, that, so many property masters are retiring out in the next few years, you know, and, and then on top of that, there was such a huge, um, increase in production, Yeah, you know, with streaming services and everything. And, um, it was blowing up and there's so subsequently there's all these new people coming into the craft who frankly, you know, didn't have the experience. Okay. Cause you know, we, this is a craft where you don't go to school for it. 
No. You know, you could go to school for cinematography, you right. could go to school for art direction, yeah, and and all that, but there's no prop classes anywhere. No. It's always been a mentor, you know, journeyman um and um situation where, you know, people learn on the job. Yeah. Okay. And there was not enough film to go around, so you had to work with a property master in and learn your craft. Right. Now there's so much out there that they're just, you know, they need a property master. So they'll just give it to whoever, you know, whatever warm body they can find yeah. you know, in a lot of cases. Yeah. Okay. You know, so people aren't learning the craft, you know, and, and I personally, you know, would work with people who are just like missing it. And so for me, it was like, we need to start training the next generation of property masters. So, you know, the craft still stays relevant you know, because again, a lot of things were like starting to fall away. You know, the special effects guys taking guns and, you know, uh, the onset dresser, you know, becoming more powerful. Yeah, I forgot who was somebody was telling me where they were on a show where it was just them and another person. And then they had two onset dressers. I was like, well, wait a minute. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's not cool. Um, you know, and people just not feeling their uh, relevance as a property master and losing their power. Yeah. You know, so f that was, again, one of the other things is education was a huge um, part of why we started the guild. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, if you just, if they're just going to hire anybody and they just are figuring it out, they, I guess they don't know what to look for and right. when to speak up and, and, and when to do stuff. Uh, luckily, I didn't have that experience. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I I came on. My first ever prop master job, luckily I was like, I did it. It was like a small little movie that apparently J.P. Jones was like, said he was going to do if he had time because right. it was like for a friend of his or whatever. And then something else came up and I came in and I was like, I've never prop mastered anything before, but I want to try to figure it out. And I mean, thank God for J.P. because like he... I, I didn't know the first thing of what to do. And he walked me through, I don't even think I don't, like, I haven't really worked with him or seen him since. So, oh. so I don't even know if he remembers this or whatever, but okay. he like walked me through ISS. He introduced me to Greg Bilson. And this is, this is probably 10 years ago. <laughs> it was a while ago. And had you been mastering or uh, assisting? Set dressing. Set oh, dressing. Set no, no, no prop assisting. I wasn't even union. It was non-union. Right. So it was like all set dressing, um, set construction. I was doing a little bit of, okay. so I was doing a lot of that. And this was just something that was like, I was like, I saw the job listing. I was like, I'd like, and I fell in love with it. I mean, that made me never want to turn back. Sure. But I went in and he took me in. He walked me through ISS. He sat me down in one of the prep rooms and he showed me how to break down a script, uh, gave me his Excel template, uh, like on how nice. to budget the show. Wow. And I use that to this day. Nice. Like I've altered it a little bit sure. to like add things that are a little bit uh, newer with like a lot of the streaming stuff like that. But I use it to this day and it's still like perfect for me. It's right. still the template. And he just, he showed me how to use it. And then he showed me where, like, there was one thing that needed to be built. He's like, well, we go over to SAT and see how much that's going to cost. See if they have one hiding back there. Let's see if they have a mold. And it was like all this information coming right. on down to where he took me onto his trailer and he's like oh well what do you need on this he's like here take these two carts you need chairs you can take chairs he's like wow. oh what else is in this okay you need one of these pull out a drawer here take some of it like he just made my life so much easier wow, for this job just like gave me all these resources that i didn't know had and then lent me a bunch of carts and stuff and then sent me off on the show and it was like a i don't know like a 20 day shoot up in Lancaster okay. nice. <laughs> so on location or whatever, in like a rinky dink hotel. And 
it was fantastic. It was awesome. And then um, after that, I never wanted to look back. So I did get that a little bit. Luckily, when I joined the union, I just wanted to step back and start assisting. So I think right. that was they took into the same thing as that. Like I, I, I saw the way real professionals and stuff do it. Yeah, and I wanted to learn from them first and take more notes before <laughs> jumping exactly. into it. You know? Well, I mean, and you can't beat that experience because that's really, I mean, you can't teach, you can't really teach this in a classroom. I mean, no. you can to a certain extent, but it's such real world. Yeah, that you have to really. I know. I haven't Nicole Ruby been doing some classes or something on this. I think yeah, she did <laughs> some instructions. That I think, and it was really great. And, yeah. and again, that's what we're you know we as a guild are planning on doing. We're we're just now getting together um, a whole series of Zoom classes that we're going to put out there. That's awesome. You know, and, and we're and again we were talking about it last weekend. Um, you know, we could do it for years. I mean, there are so when you get down to the brass tacks of what we actually do, the the amount of things that we have to take on, the the that is part of the job of the property master. There's it's so nuanced. There's so many different yeah. aspects of it, and we're going to break down every all of those things, you know, and and get into all of them in a Zoom class where people could participate and ask questions and all that. Yeah, and then put those videos on our website so people could resource them at any point in time yeah you know and again this isn't going to be just for guild members it's going to be for the world you know because we want to inspire you know other prop you know people out there who want to become a prop master who don't even know that they want to be a prop master they're going to see this and they'll be like wow that's super cool i want to do that you yeah know? so that's kind of you know what our goals are as far as that goes um I see, you know, I want to talk about you a little bit. Okay. Mine will be a lot quicker. <laughs> Luckily, I don't have the credits you have. Well, no, you got some great credits. I'm going to start with one in particular. What's, what's up with Donald Trump's Art of the Deal, the movie? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, that, what year was that? Was that uh, 2016? 2016. 2016. Okay, yeah. So, so that was um, a Funny or Die thing. It was a, okay. a TV movie. So it was a 60-minute Funny or Die show where, um, and this is before Donald Trump got elected, obviously. Right. So um, they, it was when he was campaigning pretty hard and it was kind of like a, I don't want to say it was a smear piece. It was like a, a spoof. A spoof. Yeah. yeah, here we go. Of his book, The Art of the Deal, right. to where they almost go through like chapter by chapter. And Johnny Depp, they brought in to play Donald Trump. Wow. And he only took the job because it was, I mean, in his heyday, obviously. I mean, it's still his heyday, I think. But he took the job because he hated Donald Trump so much. Wow. So he did it for almost pennies. He wanted to roast him. He wanted to roast him, and I think what his his one um, his one deal with them was like, oh, I won't work until eleven p.m., but then you can have me as late as we want. So we would shoot to like four o'clock in the morning. Wow. <laughs> the <laughs> and, night owl that he is. Yeah, and it was a non-union thing, so we shot. I mean, we shot it for I think two weeks or something like that, and we would come in and it would just pieces of it and i got the job just like on a random call like oh do you want a prop master this like this little funnier die thing and i didn't know till the day before that it was going to be like johnny depp which at the time was like the biggest star that i had (laughs) ever worked with yeah and i mean he humanized actors for me (laughs) because he was such a nice just personable yeah normal guy (laughs) 
Um, was there a lot of props in that? Yeah, yeah. So we had to do like, like there's Trump steak, and then they had like a Taj Mahal, <laughs> like miniature nice. model that they brought out and put on the table. And we had to like make magazines that had yeah. him because they have like this bit where he's like sitting on the toilet and he only likes to like read things about himself. So right. he just has a stack of magazines <laughs> that's wow, yeah. just Donnie, Donnie Depp. And then they have him like going out and like doing the demo so it's like it goes there's just a, a good amount of props they're all kind of quirky sure and and, and vignette so they don't yeah. have to be sketchy yeah yeah, yeah. so like you could kind of piecemeal them together sure like, nothing had to be like like okay. I, I built most of it right <laughs> That's nice. where it was and it was i mean yeah it was really cool like henry winkler was in it too Very so we cool. had like a lot of like actors that were just popping in just right. to, like um, like for no pay just to like right, kind of be a part of this little piece and it. it actually is a pretty funny like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm wanting to see it now. yeah you should it's check hilarious. it out like they shoot it like it's a vhs like old tv right. movie thing so it kind of has that like that line the blip lines. of like the old vhs yeah, that's pretty cool <laughs> but yeah that was cool it was like uh, definitely i'm glad i did it <laughs> yeah that sounds like fun so and you assisted a lot I assisted right. a lot, yeah. Like, what, like, who are some of the prop masters you worked okay, with? Okay, so I got into the union, um, and almost the minute I got into the union, I started I started working on... I started prop assisting on um, Fresh Off the Boat. Um, for, right. For, for, like, um, for, like, part of a season, but at the exact same time, because I had just dropped so much money on joining the union and right. I had like, I barely had a dollar to my name. So I was like, Oh, any job that comes along, I'm going to take. And luckily it was really busy at that time. So, um, teen wolf was going on and they were cat Cassinger was really the one who I started working for. Mm. And, um, she, she pretty much solely, she was a property master out in, um, Atlanta that is shot teen wolf shot for two seasons out there, then came out here for like the next, six seasons or however many she kind of came out with the show because she was attached and then moved out and became that so i came on and worked for her and she was a hard ass <laughs> now were you uh were you set master no, no at this time i was just assisting and i was I doing can't. it the exact same right. time i was doing fresh off the boat i would literally work an all-nighter on teen wolf right. and then i would drive straight to fox and yeah. and and get maybe two hours of sleep in the right. parking garage mm -hmm. and then walk straight into fresh off the boat and then sometimes would go straight back to Teen Wolf. Yeah. So I was just like trying to make the money to like yeah. make up for what I had just right. lost. Luckily I only had to do that for like on and off for like a month. Okay. And then, um, but Teen Wolf, she, she was a, Cat was really, she was a tough prop master, but I appreciated it. Yeah. Like there wasn't a lot of assistance that would stay with her for right. more than a season, but there was nothing that she did that I, that I thought was like, it mean spirited. Yeah. Whatever she, would kind of go off it would be not super vicious it, it would be intense but right. she had a reason for right, it right and if you fixed it and did it she saw that and good and she saw potential in sure. you so and she knew i wanted to be a prop master going in so she would kind of like mold and like yeah. teach that so i ended up like i did a season just assisting and almost right after that uh, i became her truck person for the next two seasons mm. which i had never done that before but i, I think i ran the set for a couple weeks and i was like no nah, i like the truck stuff right. a lot more <laughs> and and i started doing more of that so she kind of became 
major into like molding me starting out of right. what I saw in a prop master. And I ended up going, we, we did that show till the end. And then I, we ended up going, I ended up going with her to do a show called just add magic, um, for mm-hmm. Amazon, which we only did a season. Then she retired and moved out. It's uh, most of, most of the prop masters I work for, I work for then they retired. Nice. Like, yeah, <laughs> so she, she was great and she moved out. And then after that, I started working with, uh, on glow, with uh, Pola Schreiber. Pola, yes. Yeah. She's a sweetheart. Pola was fantastic because, I mean, Kat's style was like intense and stuff like that. And she made me a really good prop master. But I think Pola was the first person that I had worked for that showed me. It was like, wow, you can be super kind hearted and people won't always treat you as a pushover. You could still be a good prop master and you can still delegate. And I mean, she's such a fantastic prop master and she taught me a lot more too. And also another person that knew I wanted the prop master and just encouraged me and kind of pushed me. Were you uh, running the set on glow? No, um, Rachel Flores oh, right. always ran the set on Glow, Got and I was saying, but she, Rachel, I I love Rachel so much too because she like going with Polo or whatever, like she would run all of her sets for like four or five years, and she would say it was just like, "All right, we're gonna do the show." She's like, "I won't do it without Mikey." Nice. <laughs> so she would advocate for me that Polo would go and fight the UPM to make sure that <laughs> that. Rachel had an assistant would bring me on. So, I mean, I learned a lot from Rachel also. I mean, we were, I was assisting for her for years. I was full time, but I was always assisting under her running the set, which again, led me to push that I never really care to run the set too, too much (laughs) as far as the TV shows go anyways. Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. But glow glow was such a fantastic show because Mm -hmm. that's one of those shows where the crew is just so close Mm. And so friendly and everybody knows everybody. And like we would have weeks, like we was one season we shot where it was supposed to take place in Vegas. So in Ontario, there was like a kind of a hotel that looked like Vegas that we could neon out the the back of it. We would go down there for, for, um, since that the whole season took place in Vegas, we go down there for probably a week and a half in between every two episodes so we would do shoot in stages here. Then we would go down there and shoot all like the exteriors right. and in the lobby and stuff like that. And then come back and we kept doing that. So like it felt like for a week we'd go on vacation and right. just <laughs> and with just party with all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like Get really close. All of our friends and like do all this stuff. And then, yeah, that's the show that actually went down during um, COVID. Uh, we we were in the middle of uh, the last season of that, and it went down, and that's what boosted me to be doing union prop mastering. Right. In between a lot of this, I was I was doing like in between shows, I would do like something smaller or a tier movie, and really detrimental. Uh, originally detrimental. He showed me on Westworld. I worked a lot on Westworld, and right. and he showed me a lot how how to do that. Tim Wiles, I can't yeah, forget Tim. Timmy. Tim, yeah, he. Like that's what I was at. right after Pola. There was just a line of just good Great. kind man, Tim. I can't even like because we both lived in Castaic. So every time I show up on set, like, hello, my fellow Castation. <laughs> <laughs> nice, He's such a good guy. Yeah, so that's what was just like oh man, like you can make it just being a good person and a prop master. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I noticed I saw you did this movie called Band of Robbers. There were a lot of guns in that, right? Yeah, yeah. So, the, w- yeah. So, talk to me about you know a little bit about your gun 
experience and you know how that came about that as a young guy yeah that movie honestly i i didn't know anything about guns going into this <laughs> going into this industry at all right. and that was probably the first movie to um that was probably the first movie that i worked on that that did have guns in the scripts and, and I was a little bit nervous about it. And I think I got that one off an interview. Um, it was an independent movie and it was adaptation of, of, um, with the Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn oh, right. kind of story, but it was like them as an adult, as adults. Uh, and Tom Sawyer is like, he's kind of still the rebellious one, but he's like, he's a police officer now. And Huck right. was like actually the good one who accidentally got arrested and he's coming out of jail and they're like, let's do this thing together. So there's guns into that. And it was so early and immediately reading that, it was like, well, if you guys want real gunfire, like we're getting an armor. There's, I'm not even, right. which was just at the time it was actually only like, it was revolvers and shotguns sure, pretty much solely. Yeah. So that was the first time, um, I got a armorer and he came out and he actually started showing me through a lot of what it was. Cause I didn't know it was right. like, Oh, this is blanks. This is like, yep. So uh, he showed me like what a blank even was right. like the functionality of a shotgun, which I didn't even know that and, and everything. So after that, I started taking it a little bit more seriously and started researching it. I'd say there was a, there wasn't, there was a um, episode of Teen Wolf to where um, the character is taking apart a 1911 pistol, a uh, 45 caliber, and cleaning it right. on a table. And that was like the real first one because I had gotten my EFP because the prop master asked me to in case we needed to have, which we never had any actual fire. Well, we did. We'll, we bring in armorers, but in, so we could have real weapons on set so you can get the better look, right. which as prop masters, you see that a lot. <laughs> um, so we had it so I could handle it or whatever, but I went in they're like, okay, he's cleaning out the 1911. So when you go to pick it up at ISS, sit in the gun, uh, talk to John over there and he'll sit you down and show you how to clean out the 1911. Right. Um, and I didn't really know the functionality of a pistol come to find out that a 1911 is one of the most complicated pistols to take apart and, and put back together. They have like this little pin that you got to like with a spring on the, like the bottom up top of the barrel, that as soon as you take off, if you don't like watch it, it will, across it will fire across That's the right. room. So you got to be like super and like, man, my thumb was so yeah. sore after that day because he took it apart for me. Put it and he's like, okay, now I'll walk you through taking it apart. And right. I'm like, so hard. And then after that, he's like, okay, now you do it on your own and eyes <laughs> off and do the thing and put it back together. So we did that. I spent probably an hour there or so. And then we took the gun home and then I sat in our gold room and I spent hours it was like i'm gonna make sure like it's flawless and and just doing that made the functionality of the gun and then any gun we'd run from there on out i'd take it apart and like put it back together and just find that out and then shortly after that i start i took i took a actual firearms training class and like learned it to like go and then i became on westworld i became really good friends with joey dillon so it was just like a snowball effect Mm -hmm. that kind of like got me more information and it's just a curiosity that I guess started from Band of yeah, Robbers. <laughs> that's the curiosity. That's the key for yeah. sure. Absolutely. And a want for safety. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. You ever get bit by a Beretta? No, not yeah. yet. <laughs> luckily. <laughs> I'm more of a Glock person. <laughs> so yeah. I'm, a, I'm a gun owner now, luckily. Nice. So yeah. I like, and that also stemmed from that and being safe and like 
getting more experience with actual firearms. Like the recoil is the thing that bothers me the most. Like if, if we're not having actual gunfire and they're like putting them in yeah. afterwards, like I try to like stress to the actors, like if you haven't shot a pistol, like you don't know how much of like a punch into your arm it yeah. really does feel like. So like you got to like kick it back. Yeah. You got to make it feel like it's That's tough. what's important about if it's at all possible, especially if you're not going to use real guns to see if you could get these guys, these actors to go to a, a firing range with you and fire an actual gun. Yeah. Because I mean, if we're going to move into this world where we're not using real guns, you know, and we want to be authentic, then, you know, you should at least fire it. Have you done that before? Yes. Yes. So how does how does that work? Like, do you just approach the UPM and you're just like, okay, uh, I want to take them to a firing range. And yeah. do they, they set it aside on a work day or do you go on the weekends? Well, like, sometimes it's a weekend, sometimes it's work day. And a lot of times, you know, um, we just bring them up to ISS, you know, and turn them over to Larry. You yeah. Know? And he, I mean, that's what I did. If you go to ISS, you know, in the weapons room, you see all the pictures of all the actors on the wall. Yeah. The very first one up there is Jennifer Garner. Oh, yeah. Okay. And that was because I brought Jen up there for Larry to train with her. Okay, know? cool. Yeah. And it was, uh, in uh, that it's, it's priceless. You know, cause yeah. Cause nothing kicks like a real gun. Right. So, um, I think that that's important if you could do it, you know, I mean, God knows in this world now, I mean, you know, it'd probably be a lot more difficult to get an actor to actually do it, but it, it only behooves them. I mean, if they're serious about being authentic, they have a live firing range at ISS back there. Well, I'm not sure that they were firing live rounds right, up there. Right. I know that there's there are places that um, I, we used to go uh, up Burbank Police, I think. Yeah, up yeah. there we used to fire up there. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah, I I think it's super important. Yeah, <laughs> there's absolutely. nothing that feel. I mean, even like. I don't know. You feel that power like immediately yeah. after that first shot. <laughs> Did you fire any weapons at all before you got into film business when you were a kid or anything? No. Yeah. Um, the first weapon I ever shot was an AK-47 in Vietnam. Wow. Which what? is weird. <laughs> <laughs> I was on vacation. We were in the Chuchi tunnels, like visiting um, the source sites, and they had a firing range. A lot of like with a lot of like the ex. Like Vietnam War. I see. I thought you were time jumping. Yeah, <laughs> I felt like it. <laughs> so that was like the first actual weapon because it was like super cheap. And they're like, "Oh, does anybody want to fire any AK-47?" I was like, "I'll yeah. give it a go." And then that'll wake you up. I did it, and I remember because all the foreigners, uh, it's we were the only Americans on there, so everybody else was like this Australian family, and they're like, "Oh, where are you guys from?" And we're like, "Oh, we're from the United States." They're like, "Oh." You said you never fired a weapon before, so we're like, "There's <laughs> no way." He's from the United States. <laughs> yeah, so that was the that was like, and that was, I don't know, that was probably eight years ago. So that wow. was it's very very recent, right? <laughs> yeah, and now now I have <laughs> yes, yeah, now I, I've taken a few, and I think actually next month I'm taking another firearm safety class too. So nice. Yeah. Yep. I want to get to John Wick status. I want to know Great. all I want to know all the ins and outs. Yeah. I want to know all the military tactics of like what how they're going to fire yeah. and those guns and stuff too. So Yeah, it's just like anything else that we do. As yeah. prop masters, you should know as much as you can, right? Definitely. Um I wanted to uh follow up back up though with the guild. Yeah. Because uh I think it's important that, you know, again, once the guild started um moving forward, um I got on once upon a time in Hollywood, um, and I was kind of like dropped out a little bit. Well, yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. Wonder why? <laughs> yeah. I I um, I came up with the logo for the Property Masters Guild, and uh, 
So I did a little bit of graphics and all that. But, oh, cool. But Hope and Josh and Greg did all the heavy lifting. They're the ones who set the infrastructure yeah. for, you know, with getting the bylaws. And, the and again, Greg was so instrumental in, in you know, especially in funding us and getting us a lawyer and hashing out the bylaws and yeah. and all of that uh, infrastructure stuff, which is, you know, so, so important and was so time consuming. Yeah. It's got to be tough to get something like that. <laughs> Just off the ground and yeah. going. I feel like just once it's in motion, it's kind of easy because you're just. I feel like it becomes a game of fine tuning right. at that point. Sure, but getting it going and starting and dealing with a lot of people who don't necessarily agree. Yeah, which it's going to happen. Sure. <laughs> well, I mean, it was four of us for a while, but then we got a steering committee together, you know, and a board, mm-hmm. and you know, and there was like twenty eight of us, I think, in the big in the very beginning. Um, where we were taking information in from everybody. How did you find those 28? Like what, where did these 28 come about? I think the four of us sat down and came up with like a list of the 10 people we thought were like, you know, the most uh, involved. Yeah. You know, obviously they were the, the 10 obvious. prop masters. All these prop well, masters actually knew which one. <laughs> <laughs> prop masters didn't know much of prop masters. Yeah. Right? right. Well, again, Greg is very instrumental and in, you know, and again, hope has been around forever. You know, yeah. she knows everybody. Yeah. And same with Josh, you know, yeah. on the TV end, um, you know, and obviously, you know, Emily Ferry was very instrumental with bringing her in as well. Yeah. You know, with all of her involvement with uh, the IA, um, you know, and that was also a big, um, concern of ours was is that you know before we were really going to launch and become fully legitimate we wanted to make sure that the IA knew what we were doing and that they were on board with us so you know we went in and we sat down with them and we talked to them we you know let them know that we had no intentions of negotiating contracts or doing anything that the IA does that we wanted to help them we wanted to f- help facilitate uh, what they were, what their mission was as well, you know, and that we're, you know, so we had to go back and forth about what our, the name of our organization was as right. well, you know, that's where we ended up on a guild, you know, because we just don't want anybody to misconstrue that we were trying to do any, take anything away from the union. Right. You know? And that's like, because in a lot of similarities, it is to what the set decorator is doing with the set decorator society of America. Right. Um, so, were, was there any ever time where it was going to be like a society or something yeah, like that? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I believe that the SDSA, they had to fight for that title, uh, for that name. Um, and they had to, sh- there was some consternation with the IA in the beginning about that, but they hashed it out. But, you know, so we were going to be the property master society but then we realized our acronym would be pms <laughs> okay fair fair okay so we're like yeah. okay that's not gonna work yeah um yeah so did the set the sdsa already being something make it easier for you to be to go up to ia and be like oh we're gonna do kind of something similar to what the sdsa did and yeah start something okay. absolutely and again it helped having emily ferry Right, you know, up there talking to them about us before we went in and spoke with them, you know. But we realized that also that you know we were not a threat to the IA, and we were more concerned about the national than the local, um, because you know they knew what we were up to and they were you know on board. They had their concerns, and again, you know, Josh and I went in there, uh, and um, and I think Hope was with us too, um, and you know just. 
had a conversation with them and they asked us the questions that they wanted and we, you know, set their mind at ease that, you know, we're here to help. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. And, and then we were off to the races. Yeah. You know, but again, it, it's been a long haul. Okay. I mean, there were many times where we were like getting really frustrated with how long it was taking, you know, for us to get everything together and to get all the people. I mean, it, it, it's been a lot and it's really hasn't been until the last year and a half that things have started bursting out you yeah. know, and, and actually falling into place. I mean, the infrastructure took a long, long yeah. time for us to get to get through. And, you know, again, with all the personalities and um, and I have to say that, you know, bringing some of these younger people in and up like Mel and Teresa and Marissa Bergman and um, Anna Lowsby, um, they've been so amazing. You know, uh, again, it always helps when, you know, people aren't working. Yeah. You know, because, you know, we've, you know, like Jeff Johnson, he's our vice president. He's off on a show right now. He's like, you know, he's gone. Yeah, yeah, okay? yeah. And when I start my show in August, I'll be gone. Right. Okay. You know, so that's hard. You know, it's like, who's doing what, where, you know, and since we brought Teresa Corvino in, I mean, she's been a godsend yeah. because she's so, she, it's like, she's thorough. <laughs> well, she's thorough and she, you know, she's trained in PR, you know, yeah. and she knows all these things or she's, you know, she has a second nature yeah. about all those things. And so it's like basically plugging the PMG into her brain and she's just like organizing us in a way that we never have been. Yeah. And it's been fantastic. Yeah. Okay. And, and it'll help us when, you know, cause you know, like some of us get busy and then we're gone and then somebody's got to fill that void. You know, so now we have several people in the guild all doing different things. You know, I got we got Joe Conley down in Atlanta, you know, putting together a, a mentorship program. You yeah. Know? And, and so it's 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 all these moving parts, you know, trying to keep them all together and trying to keep all the balls rolling. And, uh, and again, for me, Teresa has been great. You know, Hope Hope brought her in and uh, it, it's been amazing. And I think that the future looks so much brighter. Yeah. Now that we have all these young people. Yeah. Because, again, this is what the four of us wanted from the beginning. You know, it's like, you know, none of us want wanted to be like, you know, run it like a dictatorship. Yeah. We just wanted to get the thing up and rolling and then turn it over. Yeah. Okay. And that's kind of what we're we're doing and what we want to do is, you know, bring the younger people in and, you know, it's your guild, man. Let's let's make this thing happen. Yeah. I think motivation is definitely a huge thing. I was so excited when I found that this was a thing. I think Greg dropped some inclinations that it was happening before it officially launched. Right. So I was just like, I want to get involved. I want to get involved. And as soon as it came out, I saw like that. I, I mean, I applied pretty much right away and it was just like, I mean, my only fear was like, Oh man, I hope I don't get denied. Cause then I have to t- wait a whole nother year. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I can apply again. But I was excited once I got in and how, uh, I mean, with anything like that, it's like I feel like I had to tread lightly to where I was like, okay, where do where does anybody stand when they're coming into this? Like, how am I looked at as a person? I'm a young prop master, sure. so I'm not going to come in um, swinging. I saw the podcast thing, and that's what I just – I think I sent a, a message to Greg. I think it was just a sole email just because I was like, I know he's my friend. <laughs> he's right. like the only person in this whole thing. I know he's my friend, so I'm just going to say, hey, man, you've been in my studio. If they ever need anything, they – and then that kind of blew up into yeah. – this yes. I was like, oh my god, everybody's more acceptable. And I think in talking to everybody, like that made me realize, okay, they're open to ideas from everybody. Absolutely. <laughs> and that, I mean, what I put a proposal together for the whole 
for the, the Comic-Con, the Comic-Con yeah. and doing that thing because I yes, was like, that's fantastic. one thing. And I think that's another big thing with a lot of younger prop masters that I hear because we all hang out and um, for lack of a better term, like we bitch a lot. Sure, <laughs> and, we all do. Yeah, and just, just about, it was like, oh, I wish this thing, like I right. wish this was here. It's like, I don't know how to do it. It's like, I feel like the PMG is a tool that maybe ne- not like IA doesn't necessarily have. Like it's right. not, they're into a much more political drive right now, sure. which they should be. Yes. But this is something to where it's like, okay, we want to be taken more seriously as a specific craft that's right. just property masters. And I think that's it. It's like one thing I complained about was I go to a lot of conventions and seeing all these booths that locations, yes. locations guild and seeing costumers and art directors showing props and stuff like yeah. that. I'm like, why, did, why is nobody showing props at a con where people go carrying props like right. they're dressed up in <laughs> yes. costumes and they're carrying props with them they all have props and they're taking photos with props exactly. it's all props everywhere is props right. but there's no booth that's specifically like here's the props right you see little cartoon miniatures of props from hulu and right. from these other little booths but you don't see the actual props right. you don't see people it's, talking it's about a props. huge void it's a huge void so it, it, yeah, it's the same thing like when the first time I went to the Motion Picture Academy Museum. Yeah. Okay, and you walk totally. in there and the, the whole place is filled with props. There's no mention of props. Yeah. Okay, as a, as a craft. Yeah. Not, none. And it's like, that's just insane. We have to change that. You know? Yeah. And, and then I had this epiphany about it, you know, for complaining, again, like we all do, for years about, you know, not being recognized and blah, 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 blah. And I realized it's like, you know what? We can't wait to be invited. Yeah. We have to take our place. Yes. Okay. We have to be proactive. And it's the same thing with the guild. You know, it's like, yes, we started this guild and it seems like this behemoth of all these, you know, seasoned prop masters and stuff. And, you know, there's all this gravitas to it and all that. But the truth of the matter is that we just put it together and it's for everybody. And anybody who's got an idea, you know, we're open to, you know, and and again, just like you taking on Comic-Con. Okay, it, it's like great, you know. Like we need people. We need we need soldiers. You know, yeah. we need people to, who have ideas, who want to do things for for the craft to come forward and say, "Hey, give us a proposal, man. We'll yeah. make a committee and we'll make this happen." Yeah, There's I think so much to do. The biggest thing about it is, that I think that's what, like the podcast was the caveat that made me feel more comfortable with it. But I, all the other younger people in the property master guild, I mean, uh, property masters guild, I want to encourage you. Step up because we complain about, it, and this is our. This is a huge tool. Yeah. I mean, me bringing the, just the Comic Con thing because that was like a, a thing that was important for me, and saying, oh, this is what I think we should do, and, and just the amount of support. Everybody there was there was not one person that was like, eh, but right. no, everyone's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Here, go do it. Here's some money. Here, approve it. Sign up and do the thing, and like, like, bring it because everybody here is to encourage, like. Yes. The, like it's a tool that you're going to have an army behind you to help you. As long as you want to make it change, it's a lot easier than going and trying to just do it by yourself. Right. This is something like you're still going to have to do the driving work. Sure. Sure. And I think that goes into it. But being able to do that, like the same thing like Teresa's done and what, what Anne has been doing with these morning coffee yes. things, you know what I mean? And yep. Marissa, like everybody, like we're motivated and we want to see these things change and having the property masters guild behind us is like huge and having being able to sit and with these 
legendary prop masters. <laughs> Let not hold. Let's not hold that back. Like sitting, even doing the podcast, like right. th- having you guys all Chris like, Pat. oh yeah, I work with uh, Quentin Tarantino and uh, Michael Bay, Steven Spielberg. Like right. everybody's dropping these directors' names like it's nothing, which is amazing. Like that's where we all want to be. But then you guys have a respect that we don't necessarily have yet. So I think that's. I mean, it, it's it's the world having that backing you. you right. Know? Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And again, you know we. There's just so much room for everybody. Yeah. You know, and, and for me, you know, again, I'm getting to that age where it's like, you know, I've, I've done a lot, you know, and I'm happy with what I've done, you know, and I always want to be involved with the guild to a certain extent, but I totally want to turn it over. You know, it's just how I feel about the government, you know, it's just like, okay, can we like get some fresh blood in here and like, you know, get some fresh minds, you know, and, and move this into another realm into the, you know, again, I want the Property Masters Guild to see us having, you know, not only a, a set at, at the Golden Globes and the Emmys and the Oscars, but, you know, for our own. You know, we've, we've talked about there's several people in the Guild whose main goal is to have an award show for of our own. Yeah. You know, and it's fun, you know, and, and, it, and, and again, what, what department is more fun than props? In film, you know, I mean, I mean, nothing that I could think of. That's why I'm where I'm at. It's so marketable, you <laughs> yeah. know. You know, think about it. You know, you could do. It, it's there's so many opportunities um, with with the props, you know, and and what we can do as far as like an award show or or just you know something that's you know, televisable, yeah. You know, and entertaining. Definitely. Okay, you know, and again, I mean, property masters. See, they're the wackiest people i know you know yeah. i mean and you know i just did a uh a sit down with uh, the guild or not the guild but the union this weekend um i was on a panel of all of uh, uh ia crap property craft people you know including decorators and, oh cool and uh, special effects guys and construction coordinators and everything with um in our audience was people who have been in the are gu- in the union one or two years, you know, it's like all yeah. these new people and answering questions for them and everything, you know, and it's just like, and it struck me as I'm staying there. It's like, you know, all these people that are in this panel, you know, they're all movers and shakers, you know, I mean, y- you can't really be a wallflower and be a property master. Right. You know, you, you have to really be somebody who like takes the bull by the horns, you know, yeah. and, and, you're in, in, in a can do person, you know, that's, we, we're the jack of all trades. We're the silent ninjas. Okay. You know, so it's an exciting craft. You know, that just doesn't get a lot of acknowledgement out there in the world. And, uh, you know, that's part of what we're looking to change. Yeah. I like the direction it's going. Like I said, I I feel I feel you can make things happen here. (laughs) You know what I mean? Your voice is heard in in the PMG and I like I like where it's going. I can't wait till we have an IMDb thing. I mean, I I my biggest goal, I think my biggest goal I don't care about the awards. I don't care about any of that stuff. I think my biggest goal is to have a seat at the Academy. That's like, Mm. that's the biggest thing. It's like, I don't care to get an award. I just want a seat. (laughs) That's it. I want to be able to have a say because I'm in this because I love movies. Right. And I want to be able to take, like, I want my opinion to be taken seriously for movies. (laughs) Right. Like of the highest caliber. And I think that's like the biggest honor is to be able to give a seat in the Academy. Yeah. And fortunately now that is happening. I know. We have several members now or several property masters who are part of the Academy, you know, and we just have to keep building on that Uh for sure. I mean, I would like to see the PMG uh, procure an exhibit at the 
at the um, museum. I would love that too. Okay, <laughs> that's that could be a standing or it could be just a temporary exhibit. But right. it would be a lot of fun. Yeah, I know? think so too. So. Being able to put something together. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that'd be really cool. Yeah. Well, that was a lot of fun, Michael. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, yeah. <laughs> I appreciate I'm, I'm glad we did it. Um, maybe we can do it again sometimes. Yeah, like, for I, sure. Yeah. I, I liked having uh, just the PMG specific episodes like I, yes i think we should do a couple more with like i mean getting josh in here yep. just just us and josh yeah, like or josh. just uh, just us and hope you yes. know what i mean yeah. just to have like the further deeper pmg yep. um obviously bilson bilson can yes. go on and on about a lot of the stuff absolutely yeah so i think i think yeah it's good to keep going back to a lot of like the actual guild episodes I, but i agree all right cool thanks cool. brother yeah Thanks, everybody out there, for tuning into another episode of Prop Talk, the official podcast of the Property Masters Guild, brought to you by Real Working Prop Masters. If this is your first time listening, please make sure to like, subscribe, comment, anywhere you're hearing it. It would be a huge help to us. Um, If you like more information on the Property Masters Guild or have any questions for us here at Prop Talk, be sure to go over to propertymastersguild.org. You can also email us at info at propertymastersguild.org. Um, we're also on Instagram at underscore the prop PMG at underscore the PMG <laughs> and all the other socials. Just search Property Masters Guild. <laughs>